0: Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and special guest Jason Aten is joining me today to talk about everything Apple did as a big year in review for 2021. This episode is brought to you by Bespoke Post. Wealthfront and Truebill. You'll hear about our friends in a moment, but again, Jason Aten for the second year in a row. Thanks for joining me for a big year in review episode.
1: Absolutely. I've had it on my calendar now for a year. I was looking forward to it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You hadn't even invited me, but I had put it on my calendar. So I'm really glad that you came through. Just just
0: do the repeat annually. Repeat annually, year in review. Yes. A happy new year to our listeners. If you are listening on the day this airs, it came out New Year's Eve. So, you know, maybe you're playing this on some speaker to the entire party you have at your house for New Year's Eve. You're all just enjoying the Apple Insider podcast, waiting for the ball to drop. Thank you. Happy New Year. Just wanted to say that. You know, last year actually aired on the 31st as well, because the 31st was a Thursday, and we didn't want to release it New Year's Day. We figured everyone would be asleep and possibly still inebriated so we released the 31st last year and now it's the 31st this year so jason uh, happy new year to
1: you too yeah and you said all that stuff and about the party and now i feel like i should have prepared <laughs> there's a little more pressure
0: <laughs> no no you know new year's eve party you know everyone's uh, having the the hors d'oeuvres and they're just walking around you know loose it's, it's casual
1: this is a casual episode that's true perfect
0: you know i also want to thank our listeners this year. It's been an incredible year for the Apple Insider podcast. We've seen tremendous growth in the audience and you know, when we hit the fall time with iPhone news and all that kind of stuff really reached record numbers for downloads. And we've had awesome love from our sponsors. That means you guys, our, our listeners have responded to our sponsors. So thank you for doing that. And our paid supporters, we're going to talk about what Apple launched in throughout the year. But one of the things was paid subscriptions in Apple podcasts. And there's actually a good number of you with those ad free paid subscriptions as well. So just want to say as a big New Year's, thank you. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate all the listeners for Apple Insider and HomeKit Insider. If you missed it, it's a couple weeks ago, but I had a video released of me putting glitter in my beard for HomeKit Insider, reaching a thousand subscribers on YouTube. So did you happen to see that
1: video, Jason? <laughs> no, but you know what I'm doing as soon as we get done with this. <laughs>
0: yes, that's your entertainment for the day.
1: So, you know, I thought we could just walk through the year, everything that Apple did,
0: kind of share our feelings and how they age. You know, it's always one of the curious things is, I don't know about you, Jason, whenever Apple has an event, I, I always tell myself, I'm not going to get super hyped about it. Uh, you know, I'm just going to be level-headed. And then during the event, I'm like, oh my goodness, they're launching all this stuff. I love everything. But then, you know, looking back on what they announced, you know, it's a little easier to rate
1: or, or kind of judge how they did in each event. Do you still get excited for those Apple events? I do. And I think there's obviously a level of anticipation. And I think that Apple does such a good job of telling a story yes. that even when they're announcing something, I think AirTags is a great example because honestly, it's a, we, I know we'll get into all that, but it's a product that has very little actual Purpose besides if you lose your keys, sure. and yet once they talk about it, you're like, I have to have that. Yeah, <laughs> this is the best thing they've introduced since the last thing they've introduced. So, <laughs> and it's always
0: exciting when Apple enters a new product category, and either on the services side or on hardware side, Apple did that a couple times this year. So we'll get into it. You know, I wanted to start with the tech drought of 2021. I think that was you know kind of a season like you have hurricane season down here in Florida. It was tech drought season. January through April, Apple announced almost nothing. The only two things I could find, Jason, you can correct me if you remember anything else, but iOS 14.5 launched in that time period with the mask unlock feature, which we thought might've been too late for the pandemic, but a bad spoiler alert, maybe it's still going to be useful for some time going forward, (laughs) but mask unlock. And then the other two pieces of news during that time was Apple killed two products, one being the iMac Pro. And the other being the big HomePod. And that was kind of it.
1: Yeah. And well, the other thing I think is worth mentioning about iOS 14.5. Yes, the mask unlock was a big deal. But that was also when Apple rolled out the Ask to Track. Oh, that's right. right, That's right. And the privacy nutrition labels. So, I mean, it's funny because I I remember writing about iOS 14.5 and I don't think I mentioned the mask unlock. However, I do use that every day yeah it's it's a it's a huge feature as I looked back on some of the things that I wrote during that time a lot of it was around the app tracking transparencies in a lot of Facebook versus Apple I think during that time Facebook had taken out an ad campaign explaining like all the benefits of tracking it for small businesses and the only other thing that I remember was that Apple and Target introduced a partnership uh, where they have like mini Apple stores now within Targets, And I think they started with somewhere around 16. And this fall, they doubled that number. And the only reason it stuck out to me at the time is how it feels like, you know, they've kind of come full circle. The very first time I ever saw an Apple product in person was at a CompUSA store when <laughs> i remember that those. used to be like the yeah they don't even think they exist anymore but that was one of the only places you could go right. there were no apple stores right and basically no one else sold them unless you bought stuff online and now you you know obviously they've had best buy for quite a while and yeah. you're starting to see that and so that was the only thing and i think that might have been january or february that that was announced but you're right other than that and killing off things like you know, the (laughs) iMac Pro and the HomePod, Uh, there wasn't a lot that happened during that.
0: That was it. And, you know, we're going to talk about what we hope to see next year. But in light of the HomePod dying, you know, almost a year ago now, or at least, you know, nine, 10 months ago, I have to say, I still hope, I still wish that Apple would release a higher end audio device, a speaker. And Mark Gurman has been, even in this past month in December, said that that home device, Apple might still be planning to release some kind of screen plus speaker device like the you know the amazon echo show or like the google nest devices so i I don't know if i care to have a screen on it but i do hope apple gets back into the high quality audio which they have in the past you know they had the ipod hi-fi and then that died and we had many years of no high quality audio device and then we had the big home pod and airpods max and now we're in another like the home pod mini is it you know that's kind of the, the high quality one so i don't know are you hoping apple releases something like that
1: well, yeah, and I, it is an interesting sort of the HomePod, original HomePod. We have two of them. I love them. Yeah. Like, I love the sound we get from them. We use them in our living room, basically, obviously, like a lot of people do as the speakers for an Apple TV. Yeah. And they're amazing. And fortunately, we didn't get them when they originally came out, so they haven't died yet. And I hear a lot of people talking about how they die, which is a big shame. Yeah. But I do hope that Apple replaces them with something.
2: Yeah.
1: It, it's kind of strange because. I think what it tells us is that as much as people think that they care about having really great audio, most people probably don't. Because, I mean, Apple makes a $6,000 monitor for basically, what, a couple thousand people in the world? Like, It's not a product that's designed to consumers. So they do make high-end products, right? The Mac Pro is a great example of that. For sure. And I don't know anybody who has a Mac Pro That's not a podcaster, which is weird because that's (laughs) definitely not what it's made for. But I I think there's got to be some room. I think the question is just like the HomePod mini is a very accessible product because, you know, I think Apple looked out and they're like, people are the amount of people who are buying Echoes dots compared to the number of people who are buying sonos or whatever the competitor right. is to a HomePod is like astronomically larger let's just do that yeah but i do think that there's a for people who really want to be a part of that and if it had better home right. you know i know you you're the home kit guy i don't know anything about home but if it had better like if, if it made it easier for me to do that then i think it could be a win
0: yeah and, and my, i have three of the large home pods I, I don't know why i didn't get four so i could have two stereo pairs but i have three i have two as my tv speakers and one in the, one of my kids rooms and the sound is great. Like you said, it's still pretty dumb. Like when I try to ask Siri different things, it really struggles sometimes. Most of the times it's just like, don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, I, I would hope they release something like that, but also put a fast chip in it, make it somewhat future proof, you know, not don't put an a eight or what, you know, I think that was the chip that they put in the big home pod. Like don't, don't do that. Like make it state of the art, charge a hundred dollars more if you know, for whatever it takes, but but make it give it some longevity as a product
1: yes and make it so that you, <laughs> the the thing apple has to do though in order for its home strategy to really succeed is allow you to change the wake word. Yeah, We have a son named Mason and we have a daughter named Macy. And I promise you, if you're (laughs) listening to this out loud, I just woke up every Siri device in your house because every time I say one of those two names, Siri starts trying to do whatever I just told them to do. And Siri can't make her her bed. Like it's not going to happen. And so, (laughs) but I'm not kidding you. I wake that thing a million times when I don't mean to, and I can never get it to do what I actually want it to do.
0: Yeah. And you know, the Alexa devices, sorry if I made yours go off, you can do that. You can change the wake word on those to like computer. And then I think one other one, and I would a hundred percent change it to computer. Oh yeah. Cause I would love to yell computer yeah. and then do something else. You know? <laughs> love it. Right. But anyway, so let's get to, so the first Apple event of the year was actually April 20th, 2021. So pretty late in the year, it was the spring loaded event. You know, we all had predictions and what might happen. And a lot of times, Apple releases less than what we expect. I think a couple of the events this year, they actually went above and beyond everything that uh, was even rumored or expected. Real quickly, what they announced were Apple Card for Families, so more of a service update, the podcast subscriptions, which I'm going to get back to, (laughs) the (laughs) iPhone 12 lavender color, which my mom actually got one after that color was announced. So very nice, very nice. AirTag, the long-rumored AirTag was launched at that event the refreshed Apple TV, which has an A12 Bionic, which seems like old now that we have the A15 Bionic, but we can get back to that. And then it was the M1 24-inch iMac, which was a big deal. The colors came out. It was the first uh, M1, well, I was gonna say first M1 desktop. We had the Mac mini, but the iMac is really the popular desktop. So it was M1 24-inch iMac, and then the M1 iPad Pro. All of that released at that spring-loaded event. Looking back on it, Again, like I just said, I wish the Apple TV had something a little faster than the 812, but I did get one of those. It's really nice. I've had some experience with the 24-inch IMAX M1, which are still hard to get. Like yeah. They're actually still hard to get, believe it or not. They're multiple weeks out, chip shortages and all that. And I still have my M1 iPad Pro, and I think we'll get back to that in a moment. But from that event, what, what do you think? What were your favorite products that came out in that event?
1: It's interesting because with the exception of adding Purple to the iPhone, iMac that came out everything like the Apple TV doesn't really look and honestly doesn't really perform differently except for the remote right really really the feature they gave us with the Apple TV that came out this year was the new remote and some people still don't like it it's 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 so much better than the one that came before it that it's using a completely different product if you ask me but I think that the iPad Pro the M1 iPad Pro was the most interesting thing that they introduced because they didn't change anything else I guess they added a thunderbolt But with the exception of the Thunderbolt port and then the display on the 12.9, which is great, except for that I don't – 12.9 is too big for an iPad, which is why when you started talking about a 15-inch iPad to hang on your wall as a home – I'm like, no, don't do that. No, no, no. We don't need anything bigger. But – I thought that the fact that they made no apologies about this chip that they stuck into the iPad Pro, that told me like, okay, they really do mean that this is supposed to be a pro device because it now has the exact same chip. You also mentioned like maybe it'd be nice if that Apple TV had something better than the A12, but the A12 was was what was in the what is it the 2018 ipad pro which honestly and the 2019 yeah actually and and honestly if you ask anyone who is still like there i know a lot of people who have the 2018 ipad pro like an 11 inch and they didn't bother to upgrade yeah even with the m1 because it's just so good it is very good. that is true and so i mean i don't know what people do on their apple tvs that they and there's the whole apple arcade thing but like that's like a hobby. Like let's be honest, yeah, nobody's yeah, yeah. gaming on an Apple TV. You and might play games. Sneaky Sasquatch doesn't require an A15. I'll admit. No, and playing <laughs> games is not the same thing as gaming. And I'm not a gamer. I just true, know that true. those are not the same thing. So
0: Right. You're absolutely right. So let's talk about the iPad for a second cuz cuz you're we're here. So I got the 12.9-inch M1 iPad Pro. It replaced my 2018 because I edit podcasts exclusively on iPad. I use Fairlight. I've talked about it lots of times before. This was the first mini LED panel that you could get in
1: a apple device devices
0: no i guess the pro display xdr is also mini led isn't it
1: it's not mini led it's like local dimming zones so it's not right. exactly the same thing so it's it's xdr because it has a lot more dimming zones right. than and, and it has peak brightness that's better than other displays but it's not i don't correct me if i'm wrong i didn't spend six thousand dollars on one of them but it, it's <laughs> not either. i think the xdr is the first mini led display i think
0: so but aside from the pro display xdr which no one has except for the atp guys and mkbhd <laughs> right Yeah, you know, this was the first accessible I will say XDR mini LED screen. And because I use the iPad for editing, I wanted to upgrade to this. I also got the white magic keyboard, which, yes, for those wondering, it holds up, still looks pretty white. A couple smudges here and there, but yeah, you can listen to past episodes about my cleaning experience. But I still really love it. I do feel like maybe the M1 for me, like for what I do, which is editing podcasts, not super necessary. And also in light of the iPad mini that launched in the fall that I also have and I now edit the podcasts on the mini. Now there is a noticeable difference when I use the iPad Pro to the iPad mini in relation to screen refresh. When I scroll around in Fairlight as I'm editing a podcast, I notice the lower refresh rate, which is a little wonky, but when I compare the lightweight of the mini and then the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, I just prefer to hold something lighter for the two hours I spend editing these shows. So I actually have been going to the Mini more, and so the screen is not that much of a bother. And then the chip, the A15 and the iPad Mini, really has the same performance, at least in my use case, for editing podcasts than the M1. And so while I still think the M1 is a great device, and if you could only get one iPad and you want to use it as a mobile computer, I do think the 12.9 inch with the Magic Keyboard is a great option. Like it is a super powerful machine. I really enjoy using it, but I'm struggling now at the end of the year to feel like where it really fits in light of the iPad mini and the new MacBook Pros.
1: Yeah. And I I do think that the 12.9 is a little fuzzier if you have a computer, right? right? If you have a MacBook or Air or a MacBook Pro or any desktop version of a Mac, the 12.9 is a fantastic computer, but it's a terrible iPad, if you ask me, because right. it's just too big and it it's is. too heavy. And by the time you stick that Magic Keyboard or any other, even the Smart Folio keyboard, which is obviously a lot more lightweight than the Magic um, keyboard, Magic yeah. Keyboard, it's still you're carrying around something that basically weighs more than a MacBook Air, and so it's not it's not as portable and if you're going to stick a smart folio keyboard on it, it's not nearly as functional, right? You can't use it on your lap. You can't, you you can barely use it on an airplane, you know, tray table type thing. Not that everyone is on airplanes anymore, but I think that the iPad mini is a great iPad. I love the size of the 11 inch iPad pro and like my mom bought an iPad air, which we didn't even mention is, is an amazing iPad for anyone who doesn't care about things like thunderbolt or whatever right and that particular that form factor as an ipad is fantastic and it has the benefit of being large enough that like i have a magic keyboard for my 11 inch and i absolutely use it to write on i don't do it as often as i used to but it's it's the kind of the right size compromise. Whereas I do think that the 12.9, if you're going to sit there and edit a podcast for however long that takes you, it's, it's chunky. I mean, it's a beast,
0: you know, to put it in perspective, if our users don't have both, like I have a new MacBook pro and then I have the 12.9 inch iPad pro with magic keyboard. The iPad pro with magic keyboard is noticeably heavier when you're trying to like put both of them in a bag, you know, it's just, It's just heavier than a MacBook Pro and thicker, like the whole, you know, the whole body plus keyboard. And so it is more cumbersome to try and figure out where do I put this iPad Pro with Magic Keyboard as opposed to a MacBook Pro. And now because the MacBook Pros are so, so good, it is really difficult. You know, I'm throughout the year, I've tried to figure out, you know, what is my workflow? What is my computer? What is my iPad? Where do I do things? And really the M1 12.9 inch iPad Pro has gotten used a lot less since the mini and the new MacBook Pro. The new MacBook Pro is just so good, I I use it now more often. And I don't know, I'm curious what 2022 will look like hardware-wise. And if I upgrade to a high-end desktop, what should be my portable machine? Do I want a high-end desktop and still the M1 Pro MacBook Pro or... The iPad? I don't know. I don't
1: know. Have you been thinking about that? Yeah. Well, what I was just thinking about as you explained that is that probably most people can't relate to anything we just said know, because know, they are not trying to figure out at any given moment, should I use my MacBook Pro? Should I use my 12.9 inch iPad Pro? Should I know I That, sounds, ter- no, I just, that just sounds terrible. And I'm not, not picking Jason, on you, but I do no, no. think it's an important, it's actually an interesting and important point is that this is a point that I made in a, in a piece I wrote about the MacBook Pro. We can talk about it when we get to it, is that sometimes... You know, you have this paralysis of choice, right? You have too many. And right. it's it's almost like find the thing that's the best. And I don't really want to have five devices and I only use each one of them for one thing. I might have two devices or I guess yeah. real, realistically three. I have, a, I have a laptop, I have an iPad, and I have a phone. And, and I do use them each for different things. But I'm never... I promise you, I'm never trying to decide between whether I should use my iPhone or my laptop to to do something, unless it's sending a text message because I can do those on both. But generally, it's pretty easy to figure out where they fall into. But if you do have them all, which no one who's listening, well, maybe some people who are listening to it do have all of those options. I guess it's almost a testament to Apple that they've made that decision hard because they've made everything better. And that wasn't always the case.
0: Right. And there's just so much nuance, you know, using I want to write. The writing experience on a Mac is different. And, you know, I will say one of the things I use my 12.9 inch iPad for is when I want to do focused work for research or writing, I want a larger screen with a keyboard, but I don't want as much distractions. And the iPad Pro still offers that as an advantage. You know, you can put Do Not Disturb in a focus mode on your MacBook Pro, but just, you know, the amount of windows, the menu bar, everything going on on a MacBook all that you can do with the MacBook, it does introduce some like distraction level just on the nature of the device that you're on. And so I do find, again, you don't need an M1 with an XDR screen to provide that focus or, you know, that limited distraction. But I do enjoy the larger iPad screen for that kind of work with the Magic Keyboard, like just around the house.
1: Yeah, I agree. It, the iPad and specifically iPad OS introduces just enough friction. To the overall user experience in a good way. In a good way, yeah. That it does make it harder to do things that maybe you shouldn't be doing, like flipping through multiple tabs and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to on your Mac. It's sort of like if the Mac is the baseline and you can do everything and anything on it, sometimes you don't want to be doing everything. And sometimes the fact that you could be doing everything makes it harder to do whatever the thing is you're supposed to be doing. And in those cases, and that's one of the reasons I have a Magic Keyboard for my 11-inch is In those cases, it is better to just sit down with the iPad and just crank something out in Ulysses or Bayer or whatever writing app that you're using.
0: I do want to mention briefly, before we move on to WWDC, the AirTag, I got many of them. I put them on all my kids' stuff. (laughs) I put them on my keys. I got even one of those weird silicone cases for the Apple TV remote, which, another aside... (laughs) My wish for the next generation of Apple TV remote is to put a U1 chip in there with a little speaker that I can ping from my HomePod so I can find it in the sofa and chi charging on the Apple TV remote. That are my, that's my three big wishes for the Apple TV remote.
1: I would settle just for the chirp. Chirp would Honestly, be even if they didn't put the location finding or the chi charging, if they just made it so that you could make it chirp from that's your true. phone, yeah. that would be amazing.
0: That is true. I, that's true. The AirTag, though. It's been a mixed bag for me. I have found several times it was super useful, mostly because I put my keys down somewhere and I forgot exactly where I put them. Maybe I was at someone else's house or in the office and making the AirTag ping that sound, like you just mentioned, would be the benefit for the remote. Making it ping that sound was actually the most helpful in finding it quickly. But there is also this trade-off of a host of notifications now Whenever I leave an object behind, whether it's in my car or sometimes even at home, or if one of my kids devices with an air tag on it, or my wife's keys, like you get all these new notifications about so-and-so's keys are following you. And you just <laughs> left this device in the car. I'm like, I just ran into the gas station, like relax. And so there's, there's been this trade off of, I have to deal with all these new notifications, but I'm glad I can find my keys. And so I, I'm, Glad it's an option, I think, but I feel like Apple has some work to do there with AirTag.
1: I agree. And I've only, I've literally used the function of an AirTag one time. And it wasn't even because something was lost. It was actually my wife was volunteering in a concession stand at a Michigan State football game and she left her phone at home. Okay. She has an Apple Watch, but if it's not connected to a phone or to Wi Fi, that's useless. And I thought at some point late in the day, I wanted to know like, is she on her way home yet? Like hopefully she's, you know, still around (laughs) and the air tag that's on, the set of keys that she was using is connected to my phone I could tell if she was still in the stadium or if she had you know if the car was moving like that's literally the and that's kind of creepy if it wasn't my wife but you right like that's the only time I've ever used it I have one on my suitcase I have one in my backpack we have them on two sets of keys and I've never lost any of those things so maybe it's just a peace of mind thing but I actually find people look at my like my suitcase because I do travel a lot and they're like dude you're one of those people who has an air tag on your suitcase aren't you like i don't even check my bag how am i gonna lose it i don't even check it and i think maybe somebody would cr- break into my hotel room you know right? hotel room and not steal my but they could just take it off it's yeah, not, that is... this thing is not like a vice gripper you
0: gotta embed it you gotta be like double seven and like it in the lining of the suitcase jason that's what you gotta that's be.
1: that's true but see i'm thinking it's like the sign that you put in front of your house that says you have an alarm system you don't actually right. have an alarm system it's it's beware to just dog. scare people away <laughs> right it's that kind of thing. i'm thinking they'll yeah. see the air tag and just leave it alone but that's probably not true.
0: That's, true that's true well the last thing i wanted to mention from this event the podcast subscriptions apple announced it on april 20th they quote-unquote launched in like may and june there were lots of issues initially with the launch i'd have many a tweet thread about the struggles with the apple insider podcast and all that and i will say they ironed them out for the most part throughout the year apple Podcasts as an app i still don't find it to be great I always tell people try Pocket Casts, Overcast, Castro, any of those. Lately, the issue I've been running into is we did like the best of app roundups for iPhone, iPad, and Mac. And there's a hard text limit in the Apple Podcasts, the episode description notes. So it just cuts off my notes after a certain amount of time. And no other podcast app does that. Even Spotify will show the full uh, episode notes in their app. So Some bugginess there with the podcast app. But as far as subscriptions go, you know, there was this talk of, is it going to really garner that many supporters if they can subscribe directly in Apple Podcasts as opposed to something like Patreon? You know, will it make that big of a difference? And now at the end of the year, I can confidently say that we have significantly more than 10x supporters more in the Apple Podcast subscriptions platform than the Patreon for Apple Insider. That ease of use, the ability for people to do a free trial to try out the ad free shows and see what they think, has obviously made a difference for adoption. And so, obviously, that's been great, and we're grateful for that. I just do wish that the system gets improved a little bit over time. For one, our supporters in Apple Podcasts, in order to get the ad free version of the show, me as the creator, I have to upload a separate file to the Apple Podcasts dashboard. And they still only accept WAV or FLAC files as an audio format. And so if you support this show paid to get the ad-free uninterrupted version, you're listening to that WAV file, which one is a huge file and kind of a pain to have to upload that every week. But also WAV files don't support the same chapters and chapter art that mp3s do and so i've had supporters you know message me tweet at me like hey you talk about this podcast art but i don't see it and i'd be like well if you're a supporter who pays more for the show unfortunately you don't get that because i can't upload an mp3 so if apple could change anything this year in the apple podcast subscriptions just let us upload mp3s for supporters so they can get those chapter art and then i also don't have to upload a 800 megabyte file uh, every week just for supporters
1: well and it's it's like like okay thank you for paying us money we'll take away the ads and all of the other benefits that you might right. get from just listening to this podcast <laughs> normally yeah but you don't but you'd think that if you're gonna have to upload like a FLAC file or a file, like at least make it spatial audio steven come on like do oh, something for people <laughs> i don't even I don't know. know i don't that, even know how to do that i mean i, I don't know any <laughs> i'm recording a mono mic channel yeah right there's only two of us talking right now the best you're gonna get is he's over there and he's over there yeah, like yeah. it's not that exciting maybe but. i could talk i could talk in the mic like this and i could
0: just kind of move my chair around and maybe that'll create a special audio effect.
1: I I'm pretty sure that the increase you saw in subscriptions would go down dramatically if we did that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That is true. true. But it is interesting. I do think that the, if the Venn diagram between podcast listeners and people who know what Patreon is probably don't overlap as much as a lot of podcasters think that they do. And so it does make sense that the casual person who wants to support the show is like, I don't know what that thing is. I don't want to put my credit card in somewhere else. I'm just going to click this button. That's right here.
0: And it's interesting because lately, I've been hearing about Spotify growth in podcast listenership. And our show is very unique because it is strictly an Apple-based show, Apple News, Apple Hardware, all of that. And so our audience is 70% or more listeners in the Apple Podcasts app. And that is not the same kind of audience breakdown for other shows that maybe span, you know, wider topics. And so Spotify growth is growing in other places, but it's just our audience specifically, they're just in the Apple Podcasts app. So yeah, I think it's just an interesting metric, especially as we head into 2022, is Spotify going to pull more people even from our audience and people start listening in Spotify or what that's going to look like in the future.
1: I think obviously Spotify just wants to be the place where you go to listen to audio stuff, but you, right. but you're right. The ease of use for a casual person who just hears, hey, you should listen to this episode of such and such podcast. It's great. And they have an app on their phone that says podcasts. Right. They probably are already subscribed to Spotify, but the fact that they now have to go into Spotify and it's a different experience, it totally makes sense. It is interesting, you know, the podcast war that's happening Yeah. where, I mean, Apple has for a long time just by default dominated that. And I think that the updates to the app were meant to be a good faith effort to actually say, Hey, we should do something about this. We have long been the sort of backbone of the podcast ecosystem. It's just that the things that they changed weren't necessarily geared towards how do we make the podcast ecosystem better it was like how do we do something to monetize the podcast ecosystem right. that we've been so nice about being you know the benevolent dictators of
0: right and i actually saw a tweet i forget who this was from it Was It someone from nine to five mac but they were like what about going back to an ipod app rather than apple music and apple podcast separately like just like Spotify's trying to do one app for everything, have Apple just go back to it. And I'm honestly, I kind of liked that idea. I mean, just have an iPod app or something like, I don't know what they would call it, but yeah, put music and podcasts in the same app. I mean, the Apple Music and the podcast app, like it's just the navigation and user friendliness is not great right now anyway. So just make it one and maybe streamline it and maybe that would be better. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that in some ways it could be better. I do think, again, there's probably a lot larger segment of people who care about the apple music app and don't even i mean podcast is absolutely growing it's just it's still a much smaller segment of a listening audience and so having a dedicated podcast app is i think for someone who the entry to getting into a podcast, if they're like, oh, I just tapped the app that says podcast, as opposed to I have to find this thing in this app I already use, but I've never, I didn't even know. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. I do think that there's just, it's called podcast. <laughs> like it doesn't, I feel like that's a brand <laughs> yeah. recognition thing that maybe they want to keep. I don't right, know.
0: That is true. Well, listeners, tweet at Jason and myself. What do you think? <laughs> iPod app or keep them separate? This episode is brought to you by our friends at Truebill. Guys, I love Truebill. It's an amazing service and app that will let you know what subscriptions you have hiding in your monthly bank statements. and will help you either cancel, they'll let you know when they change cost. You know, you can sign up for a lot of free trial subscriptions, but if you forget to cancel those free trials, it could end up costing you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars long after you forgot to cancel. So you can fight back against those scammy subscriptions with Truebill. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need or want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. True story, I use Truebill, and I actually pay for a storage unit here in Central Florida, and Truebill actually notified me that the storage place started charging more for my monthly subscription before I ever got a notice from the storage company. Truebill figured it out first and let me know right away, and I was able to decide, do I want to keep this? Or find another storage unit. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. You can link your accounts. They use Plaid so it's secure and private. And Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. For real, like it's an amazing service. They will cancel those subscriptions for you. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill has over 2 million users and helped them save over $100 million. Like Jennifer B., another Truebill user, Jennifer says with Truebill's help, her family saved $587 a year on unnecessary subscriptions. It's pretty wild, you know, especially during this pandemic time. I know for me, I've signed up for several like streaming service subscriptions and I can always look to my Truebill app and see what subscriptions I still have active and if I want to cancel them. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Apple Insider. Go right now to Truebill.com. Dot com slash Apple Insider, and it could save you literally thousands of dollars a year. Truebill.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Truebill for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, my goodness. Well, that was just the first event of the year. All right, so the next big event of the year was actually WWDC, which we didn't have any hardware announcements, but we had all the software stuff. It happened on June 7th. That was the keynote. And again, notably, every event this year was virtual There was no in-person event at all. Unfortunately, it does look like 2022 is gonna be like that as well. Quick prediction, Jason, do you think we'll have any in-person event at any time next year.
1: I think there's a chance that the iPhone event might be in person, but that's obviously usually not till, what, October, September, October. And so I think that there's a chance, but I don't think that we'll see anything before that, especially because most of the things that they introduced before, like WWDC has, it's a developer conference. And I actually think other than people who enjoy that experience, I think it's actually more useful Right, WWDC because it's a, the purpose of that event is helping developers understand the new technologies. And I think that they've done a pretty good job of mastering that. I say that as somebody who's not a developer and would love to be able to go back to in-person events. Mm -hmm. I think the iPhone event is the soonest that we would see one.
0: Yeah, I agree. I hope so. I hope they go back to in-person events. I think there's a there's a different energy and a different pacing to events. I feel like these recorded events, you know, obviously I'm trying to cover them live. I do recap episodes on the podcast after every event. So I'm kind of feverishly taking notes. But it seems like they compress everything so much. It's so fast-paced. And when you have a live event, you know, you have applause, you have some interaction. There's at least a few moments as one person's like walking on stage and walking off. And the, the recorded events, it just feels so almost hectic sometimes.
1: Does it feel that way to you? It does. Although I will say that the recorded events, the one advantage for them. So I usually live tweet them. And honestly, the reason I do that is I can't both take notes and tweet. So I just tweet and then I use that as my notes later. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Right. But part of that is screenshots, right? I can record a lot of things that are happening quickly that if I was having to like, Take a picture of a stage, and I'm gonna miss a slide because there's a thing in your angle, and all that kind of stuff. So, that part of it is kind of nice as somebody who has to translate a thing I watched into words and pictures. Yeah. But I do agree that, and that's why I think the iPhone event is a candidate for. Because it's clearly the event where the, the largest number of eyeballs are looking at Apple is the iPhone event. Because for a lot of people, like for you and I, this is a weird thing to acknowledge because we're both Mac people right. and, and Apple people. But for most people, Apple is the company that makes the iPhone. Like that's right. just all it is. They right. it, oh, And AirPods, right? Like that's <laughs> right. what this company makes. And so that's the event I think that they would benefit from the additional buzz of having an actual in-person event.
0: Right. Agreed. All right. So at WWDC, let me just run down real quick, kind of the highlights. iOS was the first up. They had some FaceTime improvements. They announced SharePlay, which is finally really widely available now. Focus modes came in iOS 15. There's some map improvements, live text, which I think was one of the biggest features this year. The controversial Safari redesign, which we'll come back to for sure. Yes. The app privacy report, legacy contacts, and all that. iPad OS... I think was the biggest sad trombone of WWDC. You know, trying to figure out what actually came to iPad OS. It was basically Quick Note and then widgets on the home screen. Like that was the, the big features. And then the Safari redesign, which again, we'll come back to. A macOS Monterey, again, the Safari redesign. Shortcuts on the Mac was kind of the big deal. And then Universal Control, which we don't have yet. That's been delayed till 2022. WatchOS 8 was like portrait watch face, Tai Chi and Pilates basically and then the home app got some improvements then there was also iCloud plus which added private relay hide my email custom email domains which I have been using and I do like and unlimited cameras and home kit like those were kind of the the big high level stuff my, my question to you is Jason have going back up to iOS have you used share play with anybody yet
1: no no I haven't <laughs> used it once
0: have you tried the screen sharing thing on like iPhone or anything
1: that once, I mean, that's technically separate from shareplay share Play, right? right? Yeah. So yes, one time, and it's really just a troubleshooting thing. And it was, right. it was like, share your, you, you know you can share your screen with me while we do this thing right. so I can see what it is you're messing up? Basically, that was <laughs> what it was.
0: Yeah, tech support stuff. I, I've done it once, and it worked well for that. But yeah, I've not tried SharePlay with anybody. I would like to, I think. You know, Disney Plus just added support in the last few weeks, which is, I feel like, probably one of the main apps that people would use SharePlay for to watch a Marvel movie or something. I don't know. We'll see. Listeners, I'm curious if you've heard it. But live text, I've been enjoying that, especially trying to search for old pictures. If I know there's some kind of text in a picture using that live text plus the safari search i think has been beneficial
1: i agree and it, you, you bring up a really interesting point which is that the best features that apple introduces this is true across the iphone the ipad the mac the watch maybe to a lesser extent but are the features that once you start using them it's like why ha- this should always have been here right like i've always been using this right live text to me it's a, i don't remember a time which was most of my life but I don't remember a time when I couldn't just tap on the text in a photo because it just seems like that's an apple thing to do right, right? you should just be able to tap on this to in fact the time I do it the most is when there's text on something I have to like type in like oh, okay fill out this warranty card or something okay. and the serial number is printed in like negative 6 font <laughs> right So I just take a picture of it and copy it because there's no way my eyes can possibly tell what those numbers are, especially because they use a font that makes no distinction between an eight, a zero, a D, an O. So true. You have no clue. You have no idea what this is. It's like, we are going to require you to type this number in, but we're also going to make it impossible for you to know what it is. And so live text has been a huge benefit from that. And I actually would put focus modes in the same category, not because, I mean, I know focus modes have been slightly controversial because of the way that you set them up and it takes some time. But the fact that I can just at night, it just goes into sleep mode and the right people can get a hold of me if they have to, if there's an emergency or there's always been do not disturb, but it's just smarter and it feels like it should have always been smarter, right? So yeah. I agree that it's the, the things that are the biggest features that we get don't always seem like they're the biggest because they just seem like, duh, we should have been doing this all along.
0: Yeah, and I will say I have been using focus modes more and now, you know, it took me a few months to really kind of tweak them and set them up how I like like, but I have several that really work well. I've used one that Austin Mann suggested when he was on the show, but whenever I open the camera app, it turns everything off. So if I'm recording something, video, taking photos for an extended period of time, I don't have to worry about any notifications coming through, which is really nice. But also like when I record a podcast, now I activate a focus mode every time I start recording. And I even have that in some shortcuts that I do. So, you know, a bunch of stuff automates. So, They've been really lacking focus modes. One of the big controversial things was the Safari redesign on iPhone, iPad, and the Mac. <laughs> and also Apple added extensions, which I do say is very welcome. I've had some great extension experience since that came out. But on the iPhone, Jason, did you revert your Safari design back to the old school like address bar on top, basically making it look like exactly like it was before? Or have you rocked the new Safari design on the iPhone?
1: On the iPhone, I think I had a controversial take. uh, And I think it was in a conversation on Twitter with you, if I remember correctly, that my opinion was that Safari was trash on the Mac (laughs) and on the iPad. But then on the iOS, it was actually more convenient to have that at the bottom. Yeah. um, Because, like, that's where my thumb is. (laughs) And the thing I use to touch the screen the most often when I'm holding it in my hand is the thumb, right? So tapping on that is more convenient. Where they ended up, in my opinion is probably where, like, it's what makes sense. The right. ta- the way you can navigate through tabs by, you know, it's right there at whatever you or five o'clock position on the phone right. is most convenient. And I like that you can just swipe through the tabs, but that's not where it started, right? right. And so, and, and when it started, you didn't have a choice. You couldn't go back um so i I liked it on safari i felt like it was actually more useful it did require rethinking it and even when they had crammed like 19 things into one line and all of the functionality yeah i I agree that that was a train wreck but it was actually i felt like they were leaning in the right direction and at the time i wrote a piece that was like apple's doing something they've never done before failing in public right in safari (laughs) it was an i mean they've released things that are not a hundred percent baked before but none of them are train wrecks right right? we're not used to that from apple so on the iPhone iPhone, I actually believe that it was a better design um, from like the direction they were headed and where they ended up was better. When it first came out, it was a little bit obnoxious, but when it first came out, the only people who were using it in theory are developers and people who just can't get enough of beta software about with Apple. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so I have basically done what you said. My, my iPhone is on the new Safari design. I have my address bar on the bottom and I have learned to enjoy that. On my Mac and iPad, 100 percent reverted to how it was before, where the address bar is separate from the tab bar, and my bookmarks are you know under the address bar, and the, like everything looks basically like it did in Mac OS, Big Sur and iPad OS 14. I reverted all that.
1: Yeah, and I did too. And what was interesting is I actually just the other day set up a brand new Mac and I didn't do a backup. Like I didn't restore it. I didn't use mm. Time Machine as a backup or you know data transfer, any of that kind of stuff. I just opened it up, put my iCloud and set it up. And in in Safari, when you open it for the first time, is it looks identical to the old version, right? They don't make you okay. <laughs> revert it back. You can go into tabs and choose compact, but it does appear that the default is what they call separate, which is- The old school. What yeah. Was the, what it's what always, it's been. always yeah. been, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, so that's that's a good sign that Apple recognized that. Hey, that's nice that you made this thing that no one wants. Don't make people use it unless they want to, right? Then iPad
0: OS, you know, I said it was the sad trombone of the event, and it was because we just had the M1 iPad Pros announced a month and a half before they were in hand. Late May, you know, I got mine in May, launch day, all that, and then iPad OS. It was like, okay, is Apple finally going to do some things to set iPad apart? or take advantage of the M1 chip, the same chip that was in the MacBook Pro at the time and the MacBook Air and Mac Mini. And I, I'm still disappointed. And basically in, in like two things, you know, there was lots of talk about iPadOS and should it have all this complication or whatever. I just wish that one, when you connected a display to an iPad, that it was better, that you could either do a separate display or at least if you mirrored display, it took up a full screen you know like the the resolution would change the aspect ratio that external display support i wish was better but more the kind of back end and because i'm big into podcasting the audio where if i plug a usb microphone into my ipad pro m1 today two apps cannot both see that usb microphone at the same time and that is a key thing that is needed to really make it a pro device where i can have split screen which ipad can do have Skype on one half of the screen, have Ferrite Recording Studio on the right, and let me talk to someone on Skype and record both using that USB microphone input, and you still can't do it. If you try to open that second app, a warning will flash and it'll say, sorry, Skype is already using this audio input, you know, no can do. And it's those kinds of things that I feel like, even if it's not a big WWDC announcement, Apple should still look to add some of those, not pro features, but just... Pro use cases that, you know, visually it adds no complication. It doesn't change anything about what you see on the iPad, but it allows you to use that Thunderbolt port, which they advertise as a main feature with the M1
1: iPad Pro. To a greater effect. I don't disagree with that. I thought where you were going is where most people were going, which is why don't they put Mac OS on? The no, iPad, no, which no, no, no. I don't no. think they should, and I don't think that they ever will. I think we'll see the two get closer, but I don't, I just, that it's not a Surface Pro, right? It's a different right. thing. It's not meant to replace your Mac. It's meant to do some of the same things as your Mac, but you do them differently. But that aside, I agree that there are some around the edges type things. I, I wonder if they just aren't high enough on the priority list. Yeah. Yeah. because they are such edge cases. And the reason I say that is they would require overcoming what has always been sort of the paradigm of iOS, which really iPadOS is iOS with a couple of slightly different... Letters in the title. Well, that's exactly <laughs> true. Also, a couple of different maybe APIs and things for yeah. use, taking advantage of a larger screen size. But you know, the, on an iPhone, the reason you can't do that has always been security, right? The apps right. don't have the ability to do those types of things. Sandbox. And you can understand why on a device that a billion people carry in their pocket that's a huge target right. without getting into all of apple's arguments about privacy it you have to acknowledge that it is a very large target for a malicious app that might want to be listening in the background but as soon as you close that app it just it literally can't it literally can't do that because of the way that Apple has built the software. Right. So overcoming that, I don't know. I'm not a developer, so I don't know what that would involve. But I just wonder if it hasn't risen to high enough on the priority list because yeah. of what it would require. But I, I don't disagree that for people who want to use it as a primary device, it does still lack some of those what seem like pretty basic capabilities to do that. Like I couldn't plug my I have a CalDigit uh, Thunderbolt adapter, and I couldn't plug that in and also pl- in in plug in headphones to that and also plug in something else and try to, yeah, like you said, it, it does make it, which is why when I've listened to people who talk about recording podcasts exclusively on an iPad, I don't even really want to think about what goes into that because yeah. it just seems like that's a mountain that's very large to climb.
0: And, you know, I did it once this year. I was on vacation in North Carolina in the mountains and I did not bring my MacBook. I did not bring any Mac with me and I was able to do it, but it was because I had this $700 mix pre three, SD card recording device, where I could actually plug that to my iPad using Thunderbolt, to Apple's credit, and it could stay as an input. And then I could record to the SD card on the MixPre 3. But again, if you buy a $1,500 iPad Pro with the specs that you want, you shouldn't have to use something like that to be able to record and Skype using the same microphone. Like that's the crazy part
1: right and to be clear the challenge that you're referring to you could absolutely just record straight to your ipad you just wouldn't also be able to do that with someone else or
0: you know you call them on your iphone put an airpod in one ear and then you know record with the other one but anyway right also monterey mac os monterey at wwdc the safari thing we talked about but shortcuts on the mac and universal control obviously universal control is delayed shortcuts on the mac has been buggy You know, Matthew Castanelli, who was on the show, we did a whole episode on shortcuts on macOS. I'm super glad it's there. I've found several use cases that make it more than worthwhile to have on the Mac. Even just simple things like word count. I created a short shortcut where I can select text, right click, go to the services menu and hit word count. And it'll just pop up the word count in any window across my Mac I've set up some shortcuts for recording podcasts where I can click on my stream deck to launch a shortcut and it opens certain apps for recording, quits others, turns on my focus mode. And so it's been really good in some senses. Other things, it's kind of buggy, especially if you try to use the same shortcuts on your iPhone and iPad that you do on your Mac. Some things just don't carry over well. So I'm sure, again, this is the first iteration of shortcuts on macOS I'm sure it will improve over time. I'm glad it's there for sure. It's good, but it just it just needs to get better next year.
1: Yeah, and I don't know anything about shortcuts. <laughs> I listened to the whole episode with uh, Matt Castanelli and I still don't know anything about it. Everything you guys are talking about said it's so cool. I just opened the Shortcuts app on my Mac and it just occurred to me that it must have synced the ones from yeah. my iPhone and I don't remember creating any of these, but I do have one in here that it will take anything you type into and talk like Yoda. Yeah. Um, that's a useful one. Nice. I have I do have one that apparently says unlock my hotel room door, so I don't know where- <laughs> Yeah. What? I don't know where this some came random from? hotel room door unlock if you click it <laughs> I don't this? I don't know <laughs> yes. we should try this there anyway I, I I'm sure it'll throw up an error yeah, yeah. Uh, especially since it wasn't meant to be run on my Mac but anyway what I did use shortcuts for for a very limited time I think I downloaded them from someone who had a library online yeah. onto my iPad were create a new draft in whatever app that I was using at the time for writing something and then it would also then add Something to trollo for example. Right. So, like those sequences of doing a couple things. But that was only because someone gave them to me, yeah, along right. with unlocking my. Ho- so apparently, someone said, "Here, use this." And by the way, the next time you use your hotel room, I'm coming after yeah. you. There's a- <laughs> I don't know where that came from. And
0: I think for most people, getting shortcuts from others who are making them is probably going to be the majority of way people interact with it. But it can still be useful. You know, I just. Tweeted a couple weeks ago, and Apple Insider put the article up, but like how to generate a QR code that lets people connect to your Wi Fi network, even password protected. You know, so if you own a small business or you just want people to be able to scan a QR code in your house to connect to your home Wi Fi, you can make that and use a shortcut to generate it all. And it's one tap, you put in your Wi Fi password, and then it's done. You know, so you don't really have to know anything about what's built inside of it. So I think, you know, for most people, it could be worthwhile for that. Again, We mentioned his name multiple times, but Matthew Castanelli has a bunch you can just download for free and, you know, have fun. Try a couple things out. You might find something useful.
1: Yeah, I think it's amazing. I think that it's great that Apple has brought the technology to the Mac, even though I don't know anything about it. I just, there was a lot of things that happened this year. I had to choose to forget about something and that was (laughs) the one that I already didn't know anything about. So it was easy. There you go.
0: So during this time, this happened before WWDC and has continued till today was the Epic Games versus Apple trial. The trial happened over the summer. There was the ruling slash injunction that occurred in August, I believe. And basically, I think where we are now, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of been delayed. There's been a a stay or whatever the legal term is where nothing has happened yet. You know, Apple has not been forced into anything yet. They're kind of pushing it off again till 2022. And it remains to be seen what the end result of that will be. Fortnite still not on iOS. You can't get the game there. You know, Apple... Supposedly, the injunction stated that Apple will have to allow developers to link out to their website and users can pay for the app or service on that external website, unknown if that's actually been enacted or if any developers have tried this and actually gotten it through. But I'm sure we'll hear more about that next year.
1: Yeah, and I think what's interesting about the Apple versus Epic for most people, the takeaways are you're never going to get to play Fortnite on your iPhone. <laughs> right. It's, it's probably. I, I mean, I'm being serious. It's just not. It's True. not coming back yeah. at any point because Epic was clear that that to them the only acceptable outcome was both alternate payment methods and alternate app stores right. because ultimately their goal is to their be own. able to charge they want to be the middleman they just want to stop paying apple a cut of that but for apple yeah so the judge basically said in apple's favor in everything except for one area where basically she issued an injunction that forbid apple from including a specific clause in the developer guidelines and apple appealed the injunction they didn't actually appeal like The outcome of the case because they won the rest of the case epic on the other hand i believe is appealing the rest of the case which makes sense but the injunction was set to go into effect i think december 8th or 10th sometime earlier this month and apple appealed that the judge Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers, I think I said it right. YGR, I just remember that yes, all the time. Yes. In but I'm not allowed to write YGR when I write an article about her. Can remember <laughs> right, her name? So right, right. maybe if I write her name the first time, I'm allowed to abbreviate it. I think that's the way it works. Yes, the next yes, couple times, yes. I don't know. Anyway, but she said no. Like you, no, you're just stalling. You're not. I, I don't. You haven't given me any new information. You have to make this change. Apple appealed it to the Court of Appeals, which. Essentially, issued a stay on the injunction until they decide the case. Right. Right. And so, what that just basically means is the change that she was going to require Apple to make, which essentially was remove the language that says that they can't include in links metadata button there was a comma missing there right right the the comma was a controversy metadata buttons were yeah but anyway they couldn't include links in those things essentially they just don't have to make that change yet right right Right. and most analysts think that probably apple's gonna win in the long run anyway and will never have to make that change and my position has always been legally it shouldn't matter. Apple should just make the change. Like yeah. this is such an insignificant part of their business, and I'm sure they're looking at it differently. But my point has always been: you'll be, it'll be so much bigger of a win for you right. to just do this on your own because you may win this case, but the outcome is the next level is lawmakers are coming. For right? You. Exactly. That's already happening in this country and overseas.
0: Right. Yeah. And that was the that was the Japan thing and the Korea thing that were basically like forcing. I think alternative payment methods, right?
1: Yeah. So, well, one of them was they just agreed to allow them to, I think the Japan thing was, well, I can't remember which is which, but yeah. it was like they can communicate with their customers, which right. is such a no brainer thing. Yeah. And then the other one in South Korea was, yeah, about different payment methods. And right. I think Apple like was trying to carve out a, and it was only for subscriptions. It's not like you could add a different in-app payment service. It was just basically you could subscribe to Netflix and they could tell you they could subscribe to Netflix on <laughs> Netflix.com. Right. And they wouldn't. Get booted or whatever. Anyway, yeah. But yeah. But I mean, apple its a big deal. But I mean, they flew Craig Federighi. I was there. I was in Portugal in Lisbon right. at Web Summit. 3, Web Summit Two <laughs> Yeah. I was—I don't know. I've been to a couple places and I don't remember what they were. But I mean, I was in the room when he stood there and he, he talked about how horrible our lives. I mean, you think COVID <laughs> is bad? Wait till you see what happens if sideloading happens. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that was the gist of the yes. message that he gave to that room. Wow. And I mean, so because the EU is essentially the—I think it's the Digital Markets Act—is trying to, you know, requirements that'll require Apple and Google to do that. And so this court case is a big deal but it's probably not going to be the final say on, on, right. on what happens
0: you also got a blurry photo of Craig for Federighi getting
1: into an elevator that's <laughs> true he, <laughs> he, yeah we won't even get into that yes but I was I, was, I walked past a bathroom and there was a lot of people and I realized and I was going to use the bathroom and then realized I should not go in there it would be very awkward because Craig, Craig Federighi was yeah using that bathroom and no one was allowed.
0: that'd be tough like in a moment where Craig Federighi is within arm's length I don't know, like seeing a swarm of people would immediately turn me off. And I say, yeah, I'm just going to get a blurry photo and, and walk away. But man, I'd love to get a, a selfie at least.
1: Yeah. And it was very clear. I mean, Craig Federighi seems like a very nice, generous person, but it was very clear that he did not have time for right. selfies at that moment.
0: <laughs> right. No selfies today. Yes. All right. Well, over the summer after WWDC, there wasn't any hardware releases. Well, except for in July, the MagSafe battery pack was released. And this has been another small controversial product. It's a $99 external battery pack for your iPhone, charges via lightning, and you slap it on the back of your MagSafe iPhone and it can charge your phone. And I got one of these. Did you get one of these, Jason? I
1: use it all the time.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Now you sound very bullish on it. Now wait, now wait a minute. Do you also have the Anchor? battery MagSafe battery pack.
1: I, I don't. I can only justify one overpriced <laughs> external battery. Don't
0: well, and that's home. the argument. So I I still have people asking me, you know, is the MagSafe battery pack worth it? I will say I've used it multiple times. I like it for how light and thin it is. And you know, usually using an external battery pack is a cumbersome endeavor. If you're traveling, it's something you just have to deal with. When you travel, I'm sure the MagSafe battery pack would be worth it, but it's it charges slowly. It's a little meh. I also have the anchor one, which is half the price. It's $55, I think, on Amazon right now. And it does the same thing. It's a little chunkier, but it has a button that you can click, and it shows the current battery charge on the battery pack without having to connect it to the iPhone, which is a very nice feature. It has USB-C, which I also enjoy. You can actually use it as a battery pack on its own. You can connect the USB-C port to something else and charge hardwired from the battery pack, and it's also MagSafe. And so I usually tell people, if you're going to get one, the anchor is probably better. But if you want something that's nicer, the MagSafe battery pack is pretty nice. But you you seem to love this thing. So what do you like about it?
1: Well, I mean, I like, well, I don't have the other one. And so I like that it, does all the things you said that it does and i don't know anything about the other one but i do like that it's very low profile right and it's very well integrated you know it doesn't have a button that i can tell what the battery level is but like literally it shows up in the battery widget right and as soon as you connect it it does a little satisfying clicky thing where it shows up on your screen and tells you what you're so that's nice
0: it does tell you what percentage you can get your iphone to also yes which is nice and the one recommendation i would say is if you want To charge your iPhone with the battery pack, where your phone is at 20% right now and you want it to be at 80%, you should put the MagSafe battery pack on, turn the screen off, and don't use your phone for a couple hours. Like that is a better experience because if you continue using your phone with the MagSafe battery pack, it will keep it at 20%. Maybe it'll get it up to 25%, but you won't get like a recharge. Like it'll just kind of keep your iPhone floating at whatever percentage it's on, which again, if you're traveling, that might be better, especially if you need to use your phone to get an Uber or Lyft or whatever. So it's useful for that, but you can't expect it to just charge your phone while you're using it, and then when you take it off, it's at ninety percent, and you
1: also used it the whole time. Like it doesn't do that. Right. Physics still means that you're depleting <laughs> batteries. Right. It's just the way it works. The only like gripe I have about it is it does feel like Apple made this product simply because it invented MagSafe. What I mean by that is there is there is no functional reason why Apple can't just make a battery case. Right. right. They used to do that. Right. You. I mean, I have one in my drawer from an Eleven Pro. Right. And that that my wife now uses because she has my old 11 Pro. And it's great. It's like a case and a battery. It even had the benefit of the little... Shutter button, right? Yes, you could use it to take yes. pictures, with it which was amazing. And my my MagSafe battery pack does not have a shutter button. I've looked multiple times. <laughs> there's no button. Cannot use it to take pictures. There's no yeah, buttons, there's on no it buttons for indicators or otherwise. But I, so I don't know why they didn't just make a battery case. I think the reason they didn't make a battery case is because they invented MagSafe, and it's like, well, the people who were in charge of recharging iPhones were like, well, duh, we should use the MagSafe thing that we sure. that we invented. I think a battery case would still be better because you can cram more juice into it. But I use it when I. Really, the times I use it the most are when I'm traveling, which I have done quite a bit of, and it's wonderful that I can get to somewhere and my my phone is not dead and i don't have to like plug it into one of those portable packs which i've i've done for years yeah. i have the i have a i have a couple from mophie i have like big ones from mophie i have little ones i keep them in my backpack and my backpack ends up weighing like eight pounds more just because i'm carrying all these extra battery type things this is nice because it's low profile i can stick it in a pic, my, my pocket we went to a gymnastics meet for our younger daughter a week or two ago and i wanted to shoot video and when i shoot video with this I shoot like 4k yeah yeah because you might might as well record the best quality of it. And, and that drains your battery pretty quickly, right? And so you know, you drive two hours to a meet, you spend three hours in a meet, you drive two hours home. You better bring a charger for the car right home, or you're not gonna be able to use Apple Maps to get home. <laughs> right. But with this battery pack, like I'll get back in the car. And if my phone was, like you said, at 90% when I got out, it's gonna still be at 90%. The battery pack will be dead, but I don't really care. Right, like, right. Recharge the, the battery pack. That's the point. So. And I the other thing, I don't know if the anchor does this or not, but I do like I can plug my phone in for a fast charge and it will then reverse charge the battery pack, which is kind of a nice thing because I might, I have battery anxiety. I don't like (laughs) it when my, when people send me screenshots of their phone and it's less than 70%, I just send them back and I'm like, text me tomorrow when your phone is (laughs) full. Don't talk to me. I can't even, I can't even (laughs) look at what you sent to me. I can't see anything except for that little icon. So I like it for that reason that it can keep my phone.
0: Yeah. The reverse phone. charging is nice.
1: That's not an argument against the anchor one, no, no, by no. the way. I just have never used it. So The
0: reverse charging is nice. With the anchor one, you have to plug the anchor one into USB-C, and it can charge the battery pack in the phone. But, you know, it's nice if you could just plug in the phone with, with the lightning. But, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I, too, share a little bit of the, the battery anxiety. How often do you check the battery health of your iPhone? That's what I want to know.
1: You know, on my iPhone 12 Pro, I did it a lot because... I felt like it went down really fast. When I stopped using it, it was at like 88%, meaning when I upgraded to an iPhone 13 13 Pro, it was like at 88%. But it went down to like 91 pretty quick, like I feel like in six months. And then it slowly went from 91 to 88. And every time I contacted the Apple, they're basically like, call us back when you get to 80. I don't want to get to 80. You don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> if I There's get, no AppleCare clause. I can't trade this in. Uh, if I get it to 80, I will, you, this, I will get rid of it. I'm going to upgrade. Like, that's how they get me to upgrade is because I can't handle it.
0: All right. So what's, I'm going to look right now. What's your iPhone 13 Pro at? All right. Hang on. Settings, battery, battery health. I'm still at 100% maximum capacity for my,
1: my battery. Oh, I'm at 100. Phew. We can
0: keep going. <laughs> <laughs> the show can go on. We can continue. <laughs> I do like okay. once it gets below ninety seven for me, that, that's when I get a little squirrely, which is is ridiculous, I and mean, it's a totally ridiculous thing to feel. But I don't know; it's just a thing.
1: I have a theory. I have no inside information about this, and and I'm not an elect. I have no clue. Like I don't even have any justification or expertise to say this. But I think that MagSafe charging brings down the quality of your battery quicker than just plugging it in. I don't. I feel like because of the loss of whatever you know, the whatever's magic is happening. I feel like that magic it's kind of like frodo in the ring right eventually like <laughs> it's, it's, gonna,
0: it's gonna take over it, it
1: degrades Degrade. it de- sort of degrades the quality over time i feel like you're saying you become I a golem again, if you use magsafe that that's what happens <laughs> well you saw frodo at the end oh sorry wrong podcast i'm sorry anyway <laughs> i do think that but but i think that it's possible that somehow they may have compensated for that in the iphone 13 because you know yeah. the iphone 12 was the first one that had magsafe and so it kind right. of right. like it made sense in my brain that this is probably why and after I got down to like 91, I did start charging it with a cord more. And again, this is all like, <laughs> n- this is not causational. This is totally like, it just happened, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. Correlation here. And it didn't go down as fast. So I'm sticking, <laughs> I'm sticking with, I'm sticking with Gollum. I, I've i only used MagSafe
0: to charge since the beginning of the iPhone 12. Like I got that Belkin 3-in-1 charger and I've been rocking that ever since. So I, I feel okay about MagSafe. I did not feel good about Qi charging. Like I never wanted to just charge with a, you know, $15 Qi charger from Best Buy and charge my phone with that overnight. Like that always felt like something funky is going to happen. Yeah. The smoke
1: detectors are going to go off in the middle. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And just battery health, especially like, I don't know, the Qi charger is not going to know to like stop at a hundred, but with MagSafe, there's enough smarts, I think for the iPhone to know and chargers to know like, okay, I'm at a hundred, like relax, you know, don't, no more power. But I would love to see an Inc.com article next year, Jason, that MagSafe is like uh, the the ring uh, that turned you into Gollum. Like, that's what I want to see a headline. I might have to think of an angle there. <laughs> that's good. This episode is brought to you by Bespoke Post. This winter, upgrade your daily routine with Bespoke Post and their new seasonal lineup of must-have box of awesome collections. Bespoke Post partners with small businesses and emerging brands to bring you the most unique goods. Every month, I've actually gotten a few Box of Awesome boxes and I always love seeing what comes inside. One of my favorites is the Weekender. The Weekender is like a weekend bag you would take on a short trip. It has metal hardware, reinforced frame, quality leather straps. And this winter, I'm actually going to be doing a couple small trips. I'm going to use that Weekender. It's a perfect size just for a couple days of clothes and other items. No matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From winter cocktails to cozy threads and camping gear essentials, Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. I'm also looking forward to that Scorch Box of Awesome. It has hot sauces from small brands all over the country. I love some good hot sauces. They got some from Texas, Nevada, California, and more. To get started, you could take the quiz at boxofawesome.com, and your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across tons of different categories, and it's free to sign up. You can skip a month or cancel anytime, and each box only costs $45 but has over $70 worth of gear inside. Plus, with each box of awesome, you're supporting small business where 90% of everything that comes in your box of awesome is from a small, up and coming brand. So get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the promo code AppleInsider at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, promo code AppleInsider, all one word, for 20% off your first box. Our thanks to Box of Awesome for sponsoring this episode. Then in August, You actually came on the show for a special episode mid-year because Apple announced all the child safety and CSAM stuff in August of 2021, which was a massive debacle, and the way it was communicated was not good. Craig Federighi even had to do a special interview with Joanna Stern in the Wall Street Journal explaining the CSAM, I I say scanning because that's just what everybody calls it, and Apple tried as hard as they might to not have it say CSAM scanning in the vernacular of people but it just happened it was like apple's gonna scan your photos it just all the headlines that's how it was understood and so it was announced in august delayed delayed and now in hindsight we know that in ios 15.2 the child safety in messages launched and in siri search but the CSAM photo scanning has been delayed all mentions have been removed from apple's website supposedly apple is still going to bring it back at some point they told the verge But even the safety and messages feature changed where initially Apple announced that if sensitive photos were sent from a child iCloud account or received on a child iCloud account, parents could get a notification that something was sent or received. That part of the feature was removed. And so now only the child on their device will see the warning, blur out the image, and the child has the option to send or see or not. And the parents do not get notified. And that's how the feature eventually came out. And then we'll have to see when or if Apple actually releases the photo scanning part. But I
1: don't know. How do you feel about that now in retrospect? Yeah, I think clearly the biggest issue was that Apple has has never bundled the rollout of something as badly yeah. as as they did this. I mean, even the butterfly keyboard didn't get rolled out this poorly, right? It wasn't until people actually <laughs> started using them that they realized that they hated it. Right? Yes. The rollout was great. Yes. I mean, Johnny Ive did a beautiful video oh, where he yes. narrates I it and mean you know, have the shots. And, yeah, anyway, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Butterfly. Anyway, I do think that that was very uncharacteristic unchar- of apple i personally had, was on more had more briefings with apple about CSAM than i've ever had about all of the devices i've ever written about so they clearly were very motivated to try to correct the record the problem is it didn't matter all the only thing literally the only word people heard was scanning right you know and right. and obviously that's not the word that people wanted apple wanted people to hear right i think that the idea that apple is Because ultimately, all they're trying to do is make sure that it doesn't end up on their server. right? Right. They just want to make sure that you aren't uploading it to iCloud, which you can certainly understand. Apple does not want to be a part of facilitating something that is horrific and would be better if it just didn't exist. So in that regard, that's understandable. I think the problem for Apple was its brand has always been about privacy. And this felt like a betrayal of that because it was happening on device, even though on device is by far the best way to do it. Yeah, I think we're going to see it. It's probably coming in 2022. I don't say that with any information. It's just, they were, my sense has been they are very committed to this and they have to be because they are being pushed to do this by regulators and lawmakers around the world. As for the um, safety and messages feature, I'm actually really confused about how they've rolled this out because to be perfectly honest, as a parent of four children, one of whom is a teenager, I don't understand why it's better that they rolled this out without the parental parental notification, and I don't consider us to be overly. Nobody considers themselves to be overbearing, but I I feel like we try to be pretty measured about our children's approach to technology. We do use screen time, but the point we're trying to do is like, hey, we're going to build the help you build guardrails to keep you safe, right. and we're going to let you explore within those guardrails. And when you make a mistake, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to adjust them as necessary. But I I it doesn't really. <laughs> I, I guess it might help to pr- protect kids from predators, and that's absolutely a, re- a very real issue. As a parent, it's not the only issue that I'd like to help my kid right develop better understanding of.
0: Right, and and I understand it was if a child has an abusive parent or is in a bad home situation, and a parent getting notified might cause danger to the child. Like that is the motivation for not having the notifications. Which I get t- to a point. And I don't know what other features Apple could have put in, like a threshold, which was going to be part of the CSAM stuff, a threshold of notification that maybe parents get notified if there's a threshold of like 10 plus pictures a day. You know, I don't know if that would have been any more reasonable, but I, I do kind of wish the notification feature was still an option. And then as far as the CSAM, I think it's so interesting that other companies already do this, like Google and Amazon and Microsoft on their cloud services. And somehow it's Apple that got nailed for it. I think, like you said, because it was an on-device thing rather than a cloud thing. I almost wonder if Apple would have been better to just do it in the cloud and not say anything or do a press release. I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, if you try to hide it and make it even worse. But I think it's interesting that Apple's the one that got nailed for it. And I'm sure it will be released maybe in a modified fashion. It will be on... Some Friday at four fifty-five p.m., you know, three weeks before a massive hardware release, like the new Mac Pro. You know, that's when Apple will announce it.
1: Probably that's what you might think, and that would be logical. But I am not sure that they won't come back and revisit it and and pretty make a big deal about it, just so they don't look like they're trying to sneak something on. I think that that they feel very burned by the way that they got backlash this time, and they were trying to be pretty transparent. Like honestly, they were they were trying to be pretty transparent about it to the extent that yeah i mean apple's they put their people out there for their own purposes this was not what they wanted to send credit craig federighi out there for but they did it because right. they had to get it out there i do think it's interesting the reaction because most people probably don't know and that may be why they don't react this way but i mean apple every email you send every email you send is scanned for CSAM, whether it's you know gmail right. whether it's apple dot mac icloud mail it doesn't or, really matter yeah. you know maybe unless you're using something like proton mail that's encrypted end to end but beyond that there every time you send stuff it, it, the attachments are, i guess I should say the attachments are scanned to make sure that you're not distributing it because i mean it's it's illegal to do right. that you can't do that so this is just different because i think people are like well it's my photo library i don't have anything objectionable i'm not sending anything objectionable but i I think it's coming i think that apple has their lesson and i don't and i I don't think that we should be surprised if the rollout if they plan it more with a you know tim cook sitting down and doing an interview on good morning america or something yeah
0: that's true that's true all right we have two more events to get through for the year the next one was september 14th This was the California streaming event, the big iPhone, Apple Watch, and iPad. Again, Apple released a lot of hardware in one event. The base model iPad with A13 Bionic, added True Tone, the ultra-wide front camera and center stage, and starting at 64 gigabytes, that was the base model iPad. The totally redesigned iPad Mini, which we will for sure come back to. The Apple Watch Series 7, larger screen, 33% faster charging and all that. Then, of course, the iPhone 13 and 13 Pro. What's amazing to me is you still cannot get a base model iPad or iPad mini anytime soon. <laughs> I looked up to try and see what some of the shipping times were. And if you ordered the day they were announced, you could get it in like a few weeks. But now, like all of that base model iPad and even the iPad mini, very difficult to get now. You know, part of it is the chip shortage, but I do think this is a pretty good upgrade. The base model storage for the iPad, at least, you know, this is what you see in education. This is what you, you know, probably a lot of parents getting their kids just because it's the cheapest iPad. It was a welcome update. So really like that. Do you have any experience with the the new base model iPad?
1: Uh, I don't have any experience with the base model iPad, um, except for that it looks like the same one. That yeah, it been. looks exactly <laughs> the same. Yeah, Right. Sure. Uh, I, so I don't have any I'm sure it's faster, which is great. I, I do think that the base model iPad for somebody who just wants a tablet yeah. is a is a steal, especially yeah. when you compare it to anything that's not running iPad OS, meaning everything else that's out there. It, it's actually pretty. I mean, it has an A13 Bionic in it, which is pretty mind-blowing when you consider that it's like what 349 dollars 329
0: dollars 299 yeah. and for education
1: discount yeah and you can even get it keyboard you know you can use that as a as a device our kids have used them for school yeah. right like it's probably the best value device for by performance that apple sells
0: yeah for sure yeah i agree and then the ipad mini which was totally redesigned this was ipad mini generation six has that You know, no home button redesign, Touch ID in the sleep button, mimicking the iPad Air. It's got the A15 Bionic, Apple Pencil 2, center stage. It has multiple colors. I actually got to do the full review for Apple Insider of the iPad Mini, and I still really love it. I'll be editing this show on the iPad Mini. I edit every podcast now on the Mini because it's so light and it's really fast with that A15 Bionic. I do find that the software of the iPad mini is a little wonky. You know, when it first came out, obviously there were some weird software things, not the jelly scrolling, that's kind of a separate issue. And I, I think is a non-issue really, especially you can see it even on the 12.9 inch XDR screen iPad Pro. That was part of my video review is you can, you know, look, if you look real close, you can see it on stuff like that too. So I don't think it's that, there's just weird like layout issues on the iPad mini like if you use some of the widgets like the weather widget on iPad mini it scrunches some things together where they're like overlapping like just straight up errors in the in the in the software display kind of stuff so there's still some bugs to be worked out maybe it'll take till iPadOS 16 for all that to work out but i love the iPad mini i've been using it as a reading device my podcast editing machine, and sometimes if I just want to reach for a device at night because I want to look something up, over my iPhone and my larger iPad, the iPad mini is just such a nice size to hold for a few minutes, look at something, maybe watch a YouTube video. I, I've i really loved it. Do you have one of the new minis?
1: I actually have one in a box waiting to go back. I had a review unit. Okay, right. I wrote a review of the iPad mini, and I was extremely impressed. I don't know if I could have brought myself to the, what, 700 bucks to get one with the right amount of storage because by then it is expensive you're pushing into ipad air territory the headline for my device or from my review was there's nothing mini about apple's smallest ipad because it's i mean it's a great device and i i loved taking it to you know i we have four kids who are all do sports and i'm frequently sitting at soccer games for 45 minutes for warm-ups before the games i mean it was perfect because i don't feel like i'm sitting there with an ipad like nobody wants to sit there with your (laughs) 12.9 inch ipad at a soccer game you look kind of weird right but uh, an ipad mini is Barely bigger than an iPhone yeah, exactly. pro max, right? It's, it's, it's perfect. I, like you, I would keep it in the bedroom and often just read things throughout the day. I'd be saving research and I use Instapaper and then I just pull everything up right there on the iPad mini. And I, it, w- it was great for that. It's kind of like things that are, I want a little bit more real estate than my phone, but I'm not going to go get my laptop. I'm not going to go get my iPad pro. I, I think it was a great great device the glitch or the the bugginess in the uh, software i think is i mean it's a different aspect ratio than what it replaced yeah. so, so it's kind of expected you know you'd open a game and it'd have letterboxing on the side or whatever but those things are going to get better they're going to as people start to develop for that actually because i don't think that the aspect ratio of the ipad mini is the same as any of the iPads. so it's not like a developer can just be like oh pretend it's an ipad 11 you know 11 inch ipad pro but smaller you can't the only thing that really messed me up is coming from an ipad and an iphone that both use face ID there are lots of times I'd sit there staring at this wondering why is it not doing yeah (laughs) because I just assume that it can see my face I'm like oh yeah I have to touch the button so I, I was very impressed with it you know especially for the price of it the fact that it has full Support for the Apple Pencil, not the version you have to stick in the end, the actual Apple Pencil 2. I think it was great. I I referred to it as the best reading embed device I've ever used. And I I have a Kindle that I like, but the iPad Mini was, in my opinion, much better. Yeah.
0: And I also did that video with a pilot and how pilots use iPad Mini, which is pretty fun. Actually, that's how my first iPad Mini
1: fell. And screen crack, <laughs> But Apple care to the rescue. I have a, I have a great iPad mini now. No crack. And, and Apple, I mean, that's they make a big deal of the fact that it's perfect for pilots and doctors. Yes. Right? Yeah. The thing is, you didn't strap it to your leg. Haven't you watched the videos? The pilots always have them strapped to their oh, legs. Oh, I see. Well, to the pilot's defense...
0: I had given him like the 12.9 inch iPad to try. He had his old mini and then I handed him a new mini and he was basically like trying to play a card dealer with iPads. And it just, he was like, where, where was that new iPad mini? Just boom, just fell right out. So
1: it's right there on the ground.
0: Yeah, there there it is. So it's all right. It wasn't his fault. Also that event, the Apple watch series seven, which it was that whole thing about John Prosser with the square flat edged. Apple Watch that this was going to be the redesign. It turns out it wasn't. And he's still getting flack for that. The redesign was really just a bigger screen, bigger case size. We went from 40 and 44 millimeter to 41 and 45, the larger display, and then 33% faster charging, which I used that Belkin 3 and 1 to charge. So I don't notice the faster charging very much. I will say I got to do the review for the Apple Watch Series 7 as well. Did the video review. I'll put links to that in the episode description, but I've been really liking my Series 7, the bigger screen, I feel like it's slightly noticeable sometimes, especially if you're using one of the new watch faces only available on the seven, the swipe keyboard I've used several times and I do enjoy having that, you know, whether or not you should upgrade all depends on what Apple watch you have now. And again, if you watch the video review, I kind of break it down. Like if you have a six, if you have a five or a four, basically the only bad choice you can make is to get an Apple watch series three, do not get the series three, even though Apple is still selling it. Brand new in the store for two hundred bucks. That's that's the one you don't get. See, that's the one that Apple should be ashamed that they're still selling. <laughs> it really is.
1: I mean, honestly, <sighs> it,
0: it's true. Just because you can listen to Marco Arment bemoan trying to make Overcast and still support the Apple Watch Series Three is just a pain in the neck. And because it's still being sold new today, it means Watch OS is going to have to support the Series Three for at least two or three more years after you know from now. And it's just a shame. Like the Apple Watch Series 3, it was great for the time, but it is not great now. It is not even good, I would say. So it's just a shame.
1: Yeah. And I think the Apple Watch Series 7 is great. I think it's a the logical improvement. The rumored flat sides was not the logical next <laughs> improvement. So yeah, yeah. I listened to a lot of podcasters who really just latched onto that as this is going to be just amazing. And I, I don't know why, because I don't, I think it would have been a, terrible looking device and it, I don't think it would have added any more function yeah. is it just because they like the new different thing and the version they came out with honestly I would I would defy almost anyone to look at two people one wearing a 6 and one wearing a 7 and be able to tell the difference at, yeah, at, a glance, at eye distance yeah. unless they're using the contour watch or, face that's the only know, one <laughs> watch face <laughs> yeah, yeah and, the, and honestly the only reason you'd be able to tell the difference is you, you can't use it on a series 6 exactly. you can only use it on a series 7 and the true test is so I had a review you know of the 7 and when I went back to wearing a 6 like my life didn't change right. right there was nothing i missed about the series 7 i will say that the bigger screen is great the series 7 i think in my feeling is the largest that the, i don't think they can go bigger i don't understand how you could go any larger than that because it is already pushing it is big the limit of what and i mean it doesn't feel obtuse. It's just, I know that there are mechanical watches that are 48 millimeters and I don't understand that either. But the nice thing about an Apple watch is it's functional. And obviously people notice that you're wearing one, but they don't scream, you know, the reason you wear a large mechanical or quartz watches it's a piece of jewelry and you just want people to see you have this bling on your no one wears an apple watch for that reason and so i you want it to look like you have a submarine gauge on your wrist yes yes exactly (laughs) it's it's a look it's a steampunk thing. yes i feel like it's one of those um valve you know for divers you just put you put your your wrist up to your mouth and just take a breath or something like that i don't know (laughs) it'll be interesting to see what they do next year because i don't think it can get bigger as a change in design but i i think it was a. great improvement i think that they the battery life improvement it was really useful for people who find themselves with battery anxiety like me although i've never really had that problem on a series six no. uh, on a series four apple watch i i did have that issue a lot but i think like you said if you're still rocking anything older than a series four then this is a great upgrade yeah if you're looking to get an apple watch for the first time you will not be disappointed right. it's it's a great product there's not a lot to say about if you've seen a five or a six it's basically a that with a little bit larger screen
0: let me ask you this thing because i was thinking about getting an apple watch as a gift uh, if there's still time as we record between now and this person's birthday i could either get a series 7 aluminum or a series 5 gold stainless steel for the same price right now what do you think is a better value Who that's a tough one
1: and you know that it's interesting that you said that because the series 7 that i was reviewing was an aluminum it was the midnight mm-hmm. And my six was whatever they call it, graphite, I think stainless steel. Yeah. And honestly, I think part of my impression of why I had no problem going back to my series six was I just really like the stainless steel better. I just feel like it's so much sharper of a watch than the aluminum, the brush and especially the midnight. I didn't, I didn't love the midnight. It was just like staring into a void kind of a thing. So
0: (laughs) yeah, it doesn't look, you know, of all the models that are available still during this holiday season, that one is available and like the red one, but the starlight one is hard to find.
1: Yeah. I don't know that I, from personal taste perspective, I would have a hard time going for the aluminum series seven. But if you, if you're going to choose all other things being equal between the two, if they're, you know, price is the same and stuff, I feel like the series seven is going to have a longer tail life right it's gonna it's gonna although the series 3 is still around so who knows that 5 might be (laughs) but you know but i do think that it i don't think anyone would be disappointed by it and if they're if it's not somebody who cares as much you know if i'd never had a stainless steel maybe i wouldn't care Right. right i don't know that's true that's true
0: and then ironically we might talk the least about this but the iphone 13 and 13 pro was the same event great upgrade i feel like most was camera wise you have the cinematic mode for video there's the sensor shift Optical image stabilization, even on the 13, you have macro mode on the 13 Pro, and then ProMotion as well. Quick anecdote, I upgraded my wife. She went from an 11... Wait, hold on. You upgraded your wife or her phone? I'm sorry. <laughs> Give me in trouble. I upgraded my wife's <laughs> iPhone. She had an iPhone. Because these are two totally different very podcasts. Different. I'm no, sorry. No, no. This is not a dystopian future. No, I updated her iPhone. <laughs> she was on an iPhone 11. And I updated her to a 13. Why do I keep saying it like that? Now now I just think it's so weird. <laughs> I updated her iPhone to the iPhone 13. And she she really likes it. You know, she actually says she likes the square edges as opposed to the round. She You know, going from an 11 to a 13. I did get her the Apple silicone case. And it was the first case she's like nicked a piece off. She like dropped it and like there's a corner of the silicone broke off. And I don't know why. Like I'd always gotten her like Spiggin cases before, and they never did that. But anyway, she likes it. She and a friend were actually uh, somewhere taking pictures. The friend still had an eleven. My wife had a thirteen. And this friend, who's not super techy but technologically savvy, she was like, "Why do your pictures look so much better than mine?" And it was interesting to hear just kind of like a regular person experience seeing the difference in the iPhone thirteen camera, even opposed to just the two-year-old iPhone 11. And I've noticed it too. I mean, pictures do look great on the iPhone 13. I've taken some low light images, you know, using the night mode on it and they come out very good. I have not used cinematic mode as much. You know, I used it a couple times and it was kind of fun, but I just, I'd rather just get a nice 4K video, which cinematic mode is still only 1080. I'd rather just get a good 4K video than a weird blur effect. So that's been my experience, but I've been really liking the camera. Nice to have promotion. You know, all good there. What's been your experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the iPhone 13, again, is sort of the logical upgrade. One of the things Apple did this year on, and this is sort of a thread that pulls through all of the devices, especially the big one that we haven't gotten to, is they basically gave people what they want, right. right promotion honestly i don't know if i just can't see it i, I don't care it doesn't make a difference to me Pro, i mean i don't look at my phone now and i'm like ooh, that's buttery like that's right, just right, not right. a word i would use <laughs> and and i and i mean scrolling through twitter is still a wasteland right whether it looks good or not it's still twitter <laughs> i mean except for my tweets jason i mean come on you know well this is be. this is true but i mean it's hard to find them sometime in in all of <laughs> the know, know. noise but then the promotion doesn't help me with that's that true, so that true. but i do think that that's great in the sense that Apple seems to be a lot more responsive to what what people have said that they want whether it makes a difference in the long run I don't know I do think the battery improvements are yeah significant enough that it's worthwhile for people to like that's a real benefit and, and that's the thing that people always notice are oh, my pictures look better and does do I get battery anxiety at the end of the day right. and if the answer to those two things you know the first question is yes your pictures look better and the second question is no you your battery won't be dead then that's that's a win and it's a worthwhile upgrade for a lot of people especially since most people do not upgrade their phone every year right. you know they're probably looking at an iphone 13 from an iphone 8 right like that's crazy to people like us who are like how do you still have an iphone 6s i don't understand right. like people that i'm sorry but is like i feel like it should have eroded by now <laughs> right like,
0: <laughs> the wear of your hand should have gone through yes the phone.
1: i don't even understand how that thing still
0: turns on right a testament though to apple's hardware design i mean they are still out there. Are we, Absolutely. We just talked to a friend on another show who still uses an iPhone 7 Plus, you know, still rocking it.
1: Yeah. I, so I don't understand that, but I do think that we realistically... That person could upgrade to an iPhone 12 and it would be a like a life changing sure. experience because the battery would be better. Any phone that's that old, the ba- I'm surprised the battery right. lasts long enough to turn it on. I know, right? I know. So, do you have to jump start your iPhone every time you want to make a phone? Call? Connect it to your car, start the car. Right. Yeah. That said, I think the camera improvements are pretty significant. The macro capability is, I use it a lot. I love that feature. Yeah, I, I, I do like that the telephoto lens went from 2X to 3X, although. I don't think that the telephoto quality of images necessarily got nope. better, but you can, you can make your bad photos like closer. more close. <laughs> closer. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. So that's nice. That's a, that's great. But the other feature that is nice is that they did bring the sensor shift technology yeah. to all of the cameras, which I think that actually isn't something that people would know that they notice, but it is probably the answer to the question. Why do your photos look better right. sometimes? Yes. Right. Is, is that you have better um, stabilization capability. So I, I think they're a great upgrade. I'm glad that they didn't do another kind of a redesign. I feel like this is a good place for the iphone right now and and yeah and, and it's a good good device yeah and that's something
0: i wanted to say just about this entire year of apple's hardware releases it feels like a super strong hardware lineup like across the lineup if you look at the ipad lineup great base model great mini redesign and you have the m1 ipad pros and the ipad air the only ipad that wasn't updated but still a great device you look at the iphone lineup Awesome lineup. Max. like we're going to get to, it's just been a great year for Apple hardware. I think it's one of the most consistent and strongest years we've seen in a while. I mean, especially since the MacBook Pro has been kind of mass since 2016. Like we're talking in the last five years. This, I think one of the strongest years. My question to you is the 13 mini was available this year. A lot of the rumors saying the mini will not exist in future generations. What do you think? Is this the last
1: year for the iPhone mini? My thought on that is, I think it's true that the iPhone mini will not be a product that Apple sells in the future. But I think that the device you can buy today as an iPhone mini will be the iPhone SE. Right. Maybe not next year, but the the year after that. And what does that really mean? I mean, it probably just means that it won't have the iPhone 16 processor in it, right? right? Like whatever that device has. But I, do th- I think that that form factor will likely stick around it's just you know when when rumors come out about things like that what it's a game of telephone right and someone from the inside who has some kind of information tells someone else on the outside and if the rumor was simply the iphone mini is not selling very well and so it's being discontinued does that mean the product or does that mean the brand right. or the name of the product. And so I think that, I, I think that we'll see a device that's all screen or whatever. Apple likes edge to you know, edge screen yeah. with a notch right. that, uh, that it continues to exist. I think it'll just be the iPhone SE version three.
0: I agree. I feel like that makes the most sense. Screen size wise, an iPhone mini will match the current SE with home button screen size. And uh, like uh, some listener tweeted, I mean, I think, but you can do the side touch ID button like we have in the iPad mini And the iPad Air, you know, if for some reason that saves on cost, do an iPhone SE with a notch or maybe even, I wouldn't know, they would still need a notch for a front-facing camera. But if they did a Touch ID button on the side, maybe they could decrease the notch size and just do the front-facing camera. I don't know. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I don't think
1: they can get rid of the notch no, no. because they just added it to the Mac. But I think that <laughs> right. for branding purposes, like that's how you recognize that it's an iPhone. Yeah. You did bring up an interesting point. I do think that you're probably right that if they can force it into that form factor size, that they probably would include Touch ID. And the reason has nothing to do, in my opinion, with the size of the notch because it's already there on the 12 or the 13 mini. Right. The reason is I do think that there are some accessibility and possibly security purposes so that there are some people who are like, nope, give me touch ID button and I, right. I won't buy a phone with face ID. Right. I don't I don't know what all those cases are, but I think that for Apple, there's some value in having at least one device that you can buy that has a touch ID yeah, button sure. on it. And I don't think they want to continue selling basically the iPhone 8 forever.
0: Right, right. Exactly. I do think this is the year. I think this year we will not see another new iPhone model with a home button. I think, it will, I think it's going to go away. I think you're probably right. This episode is brought to you by Wealthfront. There's lots of different services and apps out there that will let you put money in different investments, but that doesn't mean that you or I know what I'm doing. That's what makes Wealthfront different. They make it easy to invest, and they make it easy to get smarter about investing. You go to wealthfront.com slash Apple Insider, and you take a brief quiz. They find out your risk tolerance and what you're passionate about so they can actually help you invest in things you believe in and Wealthfront will build you a diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds in minutes. You can also build your own portfolio with clean energy funds, crypto trusts, tech, and hundreds of other investments. They even have a socially responsible portfolio with a mix of funds built around human rights, sustainability, and diversity. Best of all, Wealthfront is totally automated. They do all the trading, all the rebalancing, and they even help you lower your tax bill while you invest. I personally started using Wealthfront I love their app, the website. It's all beautifully designed, very simple to use. And I have confidence that my money is being invested well. Wealthfront is trusted with over $27 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. And you can get your first $5,000 managed for free for life when you go to wealthfront.com slash appleinsider. So start building your wealth and get your first $5,000 managed for free for life. Go to wealthfront.com slash appleinsider. That's dot com slash Apple Insider to start building your wealth today. That's Wealthfront.com slash Apple Insider and get started today. Our thanks to Wealthfront for sponsoring this episode. Well, the last event of the year was the Unleashed event, October 18th. This was the new MacBook Pro 14-inch, 16-inch, totally redesigned. All the ports are back. Notch on the screen, ProMotion XDR, all of that. And also, the,
1: the biggest probably announcement was the HomePod mini colors. You get yellow. No, just kidding. <laughs> I know no, what. I, what's funny about that is in my mind, I'm you know, when someone's explaining something and you're on a podcast, you're thinking through like, what do I want to say yeah, after yeah. this? And the thought that I had was, what an event. They literally introduced the most consequential product of the year <laughs> yes. in terms of overall direction and the least. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We added color to the HomePod <laughs> mini. I
0: guess it was an event filler. I mean, that really could have been a press release. If that, but yeah, many colors. One thing about that event that was really cool was the startup song that opened the event, the guy in the garage making it. That was a very cool opening song. I think one of the coolest openings to an Apple event in a while. And then we had the AirPods three, which AirPods three, I've been using them, got my family, them all for the holidays and everyone's really liked them. I have still been impressed with the sound of the AirPods three, as opposed to the second generation AirPods and earlier. And so I've found, you know, many use cases for the AirPods 3, whether it's going for a walk, sometimes just wearing them around the house if I don't want to be closed off in the AirPods Pro, like sealed off thing. I really like the AirPods 3 and it has spatial audio, MagSafe charging. It's kind of funny to put my AirPods case floating in midair on my Belkin 3-in-1 charger, but I really like them. What do you think about the AirPods?
1: I have a a pair of AirPods 3 that... Again, was a review unit. I didn't buy any of the AirPods Three, and I don't think I would because I I use the AirPods Pro primarily. Yeah. That's the main in ear device that I use. I have a actually a pair of original OG AirPods wow. that I just keep in my backpack as like if I lost as something. a paperweight. I mean, I, mean, I had the battery on yeah, those. Are like they, what they? <laughs> They don't weigh that much. They're not much of a That's paperweight. True. But I mean, they they do like because I haven't used them in a while, they still work fine. In fact, I don't think I've charged them in 6 months and I I pulled them out the other day and they still had like 80% charge in each of the AirPods. So, they're just there like if I'm somewhere and I I don't know, left my AirPods and I feel like I'd have bigger things to worry about than whether or not I have AirPods with me if I lose my AirPods Pro, but whatever. I just keep them in the backpack, but they they do they do sound great. They fit better than the original AirPods by far. Like I I definitely like the shape of them better. I couldn't care less about spatial audio, just period. And any of the devices I have, I turn it off every chance I get. It's really weird when you start watching a YouTube video on your computer and it's like, is this? person behind me right like, right what is steven doing over there i don't understand yeah so that that's not really an improvement i think they sound great i think some of the features like the mag on the case that's that's great it's weird when apple does a thing to a new product that's a lower end product that the higher end product doesn't have so like the airpods pro do not have MagSafe. you know they have wireless charging but they don't have yeah. MagSafe charging and so it's always sort of strange and you're like well I guess I know what the next version of the AirPods Pro is going to have. right? right? Exactly. <laughs> Probably MagSafe charging. I, I think that they were a win I didn't actually write this article but my my thought about it Maybe I should, but my thought about the AirPods 3 was Apple literally dominate, and I don't like to use the word literally, but in this case, it's the appropriate yeah. term, dominates earbuds. Right. It's ridiculous. Like they have like, well, I don't even know what the actual number is, but it's 80% of the market, maybe 85. Because they're
0: Beats also. If the listeners don't realize, Apple owns Beats. That's true. And it's everything. <laughs>
1: it's everything. That's true. But even if you take Beats out, AirPods, just those little white sticks you stick in your ear are by far the largest selling Yeah, in your things and that's strange because a lot of people don't have iphones but they still some of them apparently are buying airpods and i feel like the airpods 3 are the thing that locks that in right they they've improved the original ones because i don't think most people are buying airpods pro right right? i just don't that's not thing that most people are going to spend money on or airpods max no no it (laughs) was five of us yeah exactly but i think that i think it was a brilliant product i think it was a great update i think that it was really smart that they changed the form factor but still kept some of the same functions functionality um they didn't add the silicone tips i th- i think they were they are a win
0: yeah they're a win and you know you said the next airpods it was funny they updated the current airpods pro case to include magsafe now so if you buy airpods pro right now you get the magsafe charging case where it'll line up and everything so i'm curious what will happen in the next version of airpods pro i don't think there'll be a redesign i mean silicone tips they look like the airpods 3 I guess maybe faster or some other feature like a,
1: a Siri feature. I'm not exactly sure, but supposedly they're rumored for next year. Yeah, I'm really happy with the AirPods Pro. Yeah, I'm not sure what they would add to it. They would make it compelling, but the reality is that they don't have to make it compelling. There are some of us who are probably just gonna you just buy them anyway. Me. Yeah.
0: And then the last thing, of course, the Unleashed event was featuring the M1 Pro and M1 Max Apple Silicon chips going into the completely redesigned 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pro. I have the 14 inch new MacBook Pro sitting right here. It's what I'm using to record SD card slot, HDMI port, three Thunderbolt ports and MagSafe, which is great promotion display with the notch. Like we've talked about the MacBook Pro a lot in this fall season on the podcast, but I still, I really love this computer. I mean, it's a great machine and the difficult choice for me heading into next year is going to be, do I keep this as my main ish machine? And if, and when M1 Pro and M1 Max chips go into Apple desktops, which ones will they be? And will I upgrade to that? And so we'll talk about what we expect maybe next year just in a moment. But your experience, you said you're returning a MacBook Pro or how's, how's been your experience?
1: Okay, so I had an M1 Max macbook pro it was basically the 14 inch with as much of everything you could get except for it only had two terabytes of storage because i don't know anybody who needs to pay a thousand dollars more for a couple of extra terabytes of storage that they i mean you shouldn't be putting that much let's just you shouldn't put that much stuff on your computer because no backup but right that just doesn't make sense but it was the best computing device that i've ever used it's yeah. the fastest yeah. it's the most powerful i very much enjoyed using it the keyboard is great the display is amazing the notch is fine yeah, like it's fine. I, you don't even notice fine. it you don't notice it you really don't notice it and if you really care that much you can hide it with just changing a backdrop to like a black back whatever well
0: and i and i use that top-notch utility for like a week which basically makes the menu bar black out so you never see it but I stopped using it. Like I actually just prefer like just give me the normal menu bar
1: and it's fine. And I've actually used a just on my Mac a sort of brushed metal black aluminum like wallpaper anyway. Oh yeah. And this is and so it's like you don't it's you can't it's literally not even there. I mean it is there but you can't see it. So but I and I so I think it's an amazing. Laptop. I don't think it's quite as superfluous as the Pro Display XDR, right? With, right? Which is literally a niche product, and I've used literally more times in this podcast than I try to use in my entire life. But anyway, <laughs> take them all out. In post. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's, find and replace. Anyway, you're gonna have to use description. Yeah, for yeah, this. you can't um, do that in a Fairlight. But yeah, but I I think that there's a place for this laptop. I think that if you are doing high end photography, videography, yeah. anything that requires a lot of GPU power, especially this is an amazing computer because you're only. Option really was an iMac Pro or an or a Mac Pro, right. and you now. I mean, this is these laptops are more powerful than just about anything you can buy from anybody without spending thousands of dollars and having like extra water cooled GPU. Right, anyway, right, right. I don't right. even understand. It's amazing, <laughs> but man, the M1 MacBook Air was also the best computer I've ever used. <laughs> And it's so, so tough to justify. I, I could get three of the MacBook Air that I have for the price of that MacBook Pro. Right. And the performance is still great. It's not just that it's great. It's so, and it's interesting to talk about performance, the speed and its capability of doing things is on par, at least for what, I mean, I'm, I'm a columnist. I type words for a living. This is what my children remind me of all the time. Dad, your job isn't hard. You just type words for a living. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yep. Anyway, yeah, thanks, so that. Appreciate it. But but <laughs> enjoy those new AirPods. Yeah, exactly. So Christmas is canceled, right? <laughs> you, are, you are on the naughty list along with buddies. Yeah, dad. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Thank you. I could do my job on my iPhone or my iPad Pro or any of those devices. Have more than enough computing power. So it just to me, I think Apple did the exact right thing, and I'm not arguing that they shouldn't have made it as powerful as they did because whatever they make today is only going to get better in the future. So we would want them to do. Like, shoot for the moon yeah. because eventually you're going to get beyond that even better. So, I think it's amazing. I just also happen to think that the MacBook Air is so good. It is, yeah. <laughs> the only limitation that I find in the MacBook Air is that you can only have 16 gigs of memory. Right. Right. That's the main limitation that I found. It's not the speed. And the trade off for that, though, is i I wrote about this i wrote a piece basically saying i used the macbook pro for two months and it was amazing but i'm getting rid of it i took my macbook air to denmark i went on a trip for two days in september yeah who goes to denmark for two days i did (laughs) and i forgot to take one of those european plugs oh no okay i didn't take a plug i only had my i I have a, a bag that i usually throw in my backpack when i'm traveling overseas that has all the different you know options, yeah, yeah. and then I just bought the Apple Travel Kit. It's literally the Apple whatever their travel yeah, the international plugin plug thing whatever. is. Yeah, thank you. That's the actual name for it. <laughs> but um, I didn't take it. I had five and a half hours of video meetings. I recorded an interview. I wrote and published 3 articles and when I got back to an airport where they had US power outlets I still had 40% battery. On your MacBook Air? Yeah, it's amazing. It's ridiculous. You did that many Zoom like like video calls? 5 hours of video meetings. What? I recorded an I recorded an interview using Otter. So it was, you know, the the it was listening using yeah, the microphone transcribing, right? yeah. and transcribing it. And then I wrote and published three articles and it still had 40% by the time I returned to an airport where I could plug it in. That's pretty nuts, yeah. Jason. And so my thought, and it's a year old, right? right? That That's not a new device. And now- I'll be honest. I had my screen. <laughs> one brightness. Light one down square. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I did take some power saving measures sure. just because I didn't have a choice. Right. Well, um, still. But the point is, I'm like, well, what else do I need beyond that? That is that for someone who literally types words for a living. I don't need anything else. So wow. anyway, I think it's a great, great device. And I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with it. I love the port's. I think it's fantastic that they put an SD card reader back on it. Yeah. I think that there are people that this is exactly what they've been looking for. And I think there are people who think that it's what they're looking for, and they're going to be super happy with it. Right. Personally, for my own use, it just didn't quite make the cut. Now, full disclosure, after publishing that article and getting rid of that one, I was encouraged to try the lower spec version, which doesn't have 32 GPU cores. It's the M1, M1 it's the MacBook Pro with the M1 Pro. Yep, And this one has 32 gigs of RAM and a one terabyte hard drive. So we'll see, that's great. I'm happy to give it a fair shot. I, you know, maybe the first one just overshot and it had capabilities that just weren't necessary. So.
0: It's interesting you say that because I have that model. I have the 14 inch basically base model but with one terabyte of storage. Yeah, I actually have the 16 gigabytes of RAM and I basically did it because I wanted to save whatever funds to get the high end desktop next year. So I got the base model. It's like the second tier base model 14-inch MacBook Pro. So it has a terabyte of storage, 16 gigs of RAM, and it has the higher core CPU. I forget what it is, but it's still the M1 Pro,
1: and it still doesn't have a touch bar.
0: Yes, it still doesn't have a touch bar. It still has SD card slots, it has a great screen. So I read, I think it was the Verge article that talked about battery life between these machines, and if you get the M1 Max versions, there is a noticeable hit on battery life because all those cores because even if you're not doing core intensive tasks, I mean, they're still there. And I guess whatever reason, right. you know, it's, it's causing an effect on it. So with my semi-base model 14-inch MacBook Pro, I have found the battery life to basically be equivalent to what my M1 MacBook Pro that I used for the last year. I got that back last November when they came out and hadn't been using it until I traded it in for this one. Maybe I think you'll find this too. Maybe battery life is better. But honestly, depending on what you do, the SD card slot was just a, a, such a convenience, like a big convenience. Cause I do shoot video sometimes, like when I'm putting glitter in my beard, I'll put a link to that in, in show notes. If you'd like to see that <laughs> and just being able to pop in an SD card slot, like I don't need a dongle anymore. Like I don't need the hyperdrive things I got. I don't need any kind of dongle. And I have a docking station, you know, when I plug it in to record something and one Thunderbolt cable does everything. I don't charge with MagSafe very much because I had all these Thunderbolt cables and USB-C cables everywhere. But before the SD card slot, the screen improvements, it's it's a great, great computer. But I am curious, looking to 2022, you know, some of the rumors we have is the redesigned MacBook Air with an M2 chip, probably the larger high-end iMac and Mac mini. Maybe it'll sport the M1 Pro, M1 Max or some iteration of that. We will be hitting the two-year Apple Silicon transition deadline that Tim Cook set. The way he's talking, it seems like the fall time is that deadline for the two years. And so it means that all Mac models need to be on Apple Silicon by then, according to what Tim Cook said, which the only ones left are the high-end iMac, the larger iMac, and the Mac Pro. Then, of course, we had the AirPods Pro rumored and other rumors like that. I am most excited to see what they do with that larger iMac and the Mac mini because that then will make the buying decision even more of a good problem because I like desktops. You know, I know, you know, John Syracuse talks about this all the time on ATP, like people only like laptops, nobody like desktops. I like desktops. I like being able to know that my computer's plugged in all the time. I never have to worry about what my battery is doing. And it's usually you get more power for the money and you can be flexible about displays if you get a Mac mini. And so I, I like desktop. I like having a desktop and, you know, also for having like server type things just running in the background all the time. So I am, will be upgrading to some uh, M1 Pro, M1 Max or whatever desktop next year. And the question will be, is is the MacBook Pro worth having in addition to the M1 iPad Pro? Like what, what would be ideal? And like you were saying, Jason, you know, most people do not have like 15 devices. But if you have two, if you have a desktop and a portable device, would the Let's say high-end iMac be the desktop device, and for portable, should it just be a 12.9 inch iPad Pro? Should it be a MacBook Pro with no iPad? You know, so I'm I'm curious about it, but I'm very excited for the desktops. Are you thinking about then updating to whatever MacBook Air comes out next year, or
1: what do you think your device lineup's going to look like? That's a great question. I want to say one thing first. It, yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because we assume that. What Tim Cook said was that we are going to transition all of our devices to Apple Silicon. Right. Which is what he said, but he didn't say that every device that exists today will get transitioned to Apple Silicon. They might make new devices we've never seen before. Mm. And there may be devices that don't end up getting I only say that I don't I'm not suggesting that there won't be a high end iMac or that there won't be a new Mac Pro. All I'm saying is I don't know that it should be a given because then we sort of gauge what they do based on our expectations of what they do today. Right. Right. And that's not necessarily that shouldn't necessarily be the case i guess because i believe that there was no such thing as a macbook air until there was intel in the in them i don't think there was ever a, yeah there was, no, never, there was never a power PC, there was never yeah. a non-intel yeah. yeah and so there was actually like several years between there so right. I, you know but they couldn't have done a macbook air with power pc right, right? right. so i uh, so i don't know that it's necessarily fair to assume that we will see a I know there's a lot of rumors about a high-end Mac Mini, which to me feels like a very big contradiction in terms because I, a Mac Mini is meant to be. Here's the basic thing: it doesn't even come with a keyboard or a monitor. Right. right? Just plug it into your system. It's not like, hey, let's have a gaming system in a in a small box, which is they make that. As, it's called an Apple TV. Can't do much on it, <laughs> but I love it. It's what we use for. It's the only thing connected to our TV, so that's great. I do think I'm really looking forward to a larger. I'm not gonna call it a high-end, but a larger iMac. Yeah, larger. In the, in and the reason is the problem that everybody who uses a Mac in any kind of desktop configuration is, what do you have to look at all day? And there is no dis- there is no display made that is as good as the one built into your laptop. There's just not. Right. There's not. Other than the Pro D- Display XDR. But if you're using a MacBook Pro, that's not even true anymore, right? right. There is no external monitor that is good. But, but the iMacs are. Like, the IMAX displays are amazing, right. considering what you get in a retina display with a computer built into it so i am looking forward to that i don't love the design language of the new imax i love that they did colors i would never buy those colors but i do love that they did that because i think that was the thing about the imac the original one that made it such a hit was the playfulness and the personality and i think it's great that they brought that back for the high end or the larger one i would be very interested in that for a lot of the reasons that you suggested but if you have a desktop like that you you don't need a MacBook Pro, right? Like, there's no rationalization that says you need a right. M2 Pro iMac in an M1 right. Max. I do. MacBook Pro. I
0: do want to defend the Mac Mini though, just for a moment, because if you go to Apple Store right now, they still have an Intel version for sale. The reason being is you can get a Core i7 Mac Mini, and the one aspect, or there's two aspects that are still missing from the Mac Mini Apple Silicon versions namely higher ram options currently the intel mac mini you can upgrade to 64 gigabytes of ram the m1 can only go to 16 and then display wise the m1 mac mini can only do one external display and if people use mac minis in situations with multiple displays like they don't have an option right now so i do think well, even if high end is the wrong terminology maybe it's just the m1 pro and m1 max just stick those in the mac mini and then they can do away with this intel version and then they have an option for multiple displays up to four with the Mac mini and higher Ram
1: options for the Mac mini. That's why I think they'll do it. That's true. Or maybe the M two is just capable of supporting more Ram Mm -hmm. or something. That is true. I don't That is true. I don't know enough about chips. Listen to ATP if you want to know right. more about that. I don't know. <laughs> Agreed. Um, so all that's to say, I, I think, I feel like the MacBook Pro definitely needed the redesign that it got. I think it's great. Yeah. Adding those ports are great. Honestly, I don't think that the MacBook Air needs much of a redesign. Just trim down those bezels and do what you did to the display on the MacBook Pro. But I honestly think that the MacBook Air as it exists today, <laughs> you know me, I'm all for making bold claims. Sure. I think that it's the best laptop design that there's ever been. Oh my goodness. In terms of of in terms of weight and i mean i loved my titanium power book when it first came out but man that thing was a tank right? right i think that the macbook air as it exists today is the right combination of screen size portability capability weight you can get enough battery in there to do amazing things especially with the m1 chip they could make it thinner and lighter but i don't like why this is not a heavy computer yeah there are ultra books that are lighter that's great but they don't do nearly what this one is capable of maybe give it some more ports that'd be fantastic stick a couple more of those usb ports so i have more places to plug in dongles that's fine but i'm not craving a redesign of the macbook air if, it, if they do it i just hope that it i don't know when i see the imac the 24 inch it makes me nervous like is it going to be have you seen there have you seen the renders that like john prosser has put out where it's
0: basically like it has a notch and it has white bezels like the new iMac and then it's like a no longer
1: tapered design it's kind of a flat design and i mean i really really hope he got that from the same person as the apple watch series seven <laughs> okay because so that's you, just, you prefer I, that would be terrible i don't know i mean i maybe it's got a little bit of the ibook vibe going right. only you know not nearly as thick and that's 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 fine, but I don't think that the MacBook Air. Maybe here's the thing. That's fine, but bring back a MacBook that is what this is, and then make something lighter and call it the MacBook. Air. I'm fine with that. Uh, but true. this is not to the MacBook Pro. What the iMac 24 inches, what used to be 21 inch, is to the iMac Pro. What the MacBook Air is, in my opinion, the best value of a laptop you can buy because of how capable it is, the size, the form factor. I don't think anybody would argue that the MacBook pro is a better value, right? It's, I don't think that this form factor needs the, whatever it is that John Prosser thinks they're going to do. Mm. I just, I don't would be, I don't know. I don't know what the benefit of it is. It would be interesting because
0: there've been many years in Apple's history where you've had MacBook air, MacBook, and then MacBook pro as kind of the three laptop lineups. And now there's that weird 13 inch MacBook pro that you can buy right now, which has an M one but also a touch bar, old design. And there's been rumors that something will happen with that. I could see a world where the MacBook Air keeps more of a similar design to the current version. That redesign that Prosser leaked be a MacBook in that 13 dollars $1,200 range in between the Air and the Pro. And then the only MacBook Pros are the new
1: 14 and 16 inch. I think that would make sense. I'd be down for that. That'd be cool. Yeah. And 13 inch MacBook Pro, they just need to take the pro off of that right? Exactly. because that's a device that they're going to sell to, to, to businesses and to schools, just like they sell an iPad to businesses and to schools. And that's great to have that around. But no consumer who's looking to buy a laptop that should not even be a decision that shouldn't be a part of their decision. You either need a pro or you buy an air like that should be if you're looking for a laptop, that should be your only question that you're trying to decide. Yes. And I'm fine. I guess I should be clear. I don't mind if they redesign the MacBook Air. But I don't think they need to redesign it for the sake of...
0: Redesign for the sake of change, just by looks.
1: Yeah, but if you can make the bezels on it thinner right. and so you make the overall... F- for example, the Dell XPS laptops are all smaller in size than the MacBook Airs, and they weigh less because I think they're not made out of aluminum. Right. But they, they, the biggest reason is they have much less bezel. Do that. That would be fantastic. But other than that, leave it alone. Take the MacBook 13-inch MacBook Pro, do something with that. Mainly just get rid of the touch bar, and you'd be in a good position. <laughs> right. And but take the pro off of it. Just because to, it's too confusing. Yeah. yeah why yeah. is why is there this thing that's not like the others? Yeah.
0: All right. Well my final question for you, Jason, as we wrap up this this brief show. This thing, the longest <laughs> Apple Insider episode I've done since returning. That's great. It was fun. It was fun. Software wise, we talked about what we hope and maybe see for hardware wise in 2022. Do you have any software wants or hopes for the next year? And personally I've been thinking about this as kind of been preparing for the show. And it's hard for me to think of new features that I want as much as I just would prefer. And many people have been saying this too, of just do a bug year fix, make everything rock solid, you know, snow leopard kind of release cycle across all the devices from iPhone to iPad. I would love for them to do more with iPad OS, but I'm not holding my breath. Same thing with Mac. Like I feel like their software feature wise is at a great place. It's just stability wise. We talked about this a few weeks ago about Apple software stability. I think it's good. I think it could be great. Just kind of look for all the bugs and all of that. And honestly, I don't know. I mean, there's little things like putting clipboard management built into macOS rather than having to get a third-party app for that, maybe breaking out the passwords feature into a standalone app so you can manage your iCloud keychain better, more like a 1Password app than Kind of buried in settings on iOS and in system preferences on the Mac. So there's little things, there's little things like that. But otherwise, it's hard for me to think about new features for it. HomeKit, there's a bunch of stuff I hope they add to HomeKit. That's really more of a back end, less of a feature thing, more of just like device support and all that. I don't know. Have you thought anything about software in Apple's world in the next year?
1: You know, I was trying to really think about that as you were talking about. I can't think, there's nothing that screams, Why don't they do this? Like, why isn't this here? Other than on the iPad Pro, some of the things you talked about, which really are software issues. Those are not hardware issues in terms of being able to use external devices or using audio inputs in more than one place. Like those types of things. Those really are software issues. Those would be great. The two devices that I think could use a little bit of software love are the... Apple TV. Yes, I still think yes. that they could make that better. And I think part of that does tie into the HomeKit stuff because it's weird to me that you have to have an Apple TV as like your controlling device for home. Anyway, I, I don't even understand that. <laughs> Honestly, I just use Google because the Nest, I just, anyway, <laughs> and, and, the, and the app and the Google app is terrible for that stuff, right. but it's way better than trying to use the home app. Like I don't even understand that. Stuff. anyway, the Apple TV, I think that there are some improvements. I don't really know exactly what, they are but i do think it's confusing that there's an apple tv app on an apple tv device and there's a service called apple tv plus <laughs> and i can't search for netflix stuff within the search feature but if yeah. sometimes i end up on a home screen and sometimes i am up in the apple tv screen and i can't quite tell the difference but i can't find this th- anyway so there's that that's maybe that's user Error, but that would be nice. And the other one is the watch. I feel like there's some room for Apple to provide more flexibility for both, not just designing watch faces, but I want to be able to customize a watch face to do what it is that I want it to do. And I can add complications, and that's great. In some cases, those complications don't always do what I expect them to do yeah so i I think on the watch there's a little bit of room to make it more useful because it's i mean it's it's rocking a chip that can do a lot would you want third-party watch faces i think that that's i don't see why not like that doesn't make any sense why you can't you know if i want a pocket cast watch face that i don't even know shows me the show art of the podcast i'm listening to on my watch face without having to be in some weird uh, anyway just let underscore david
0: smith literally make full-on watch faces yes for his watch smith absolutely let me just pick one of his uh, watch faces. That's all.
1: Yeah, and it's and it, what's interesting is like for example, the GMT watch face is clearly a rip off of the Rolex,
0: <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, GMT watch. Like I don't understand why can't Rolex just make its own thing and you could just buy the watch faces or you could just build them or whatever. I don't know. The other thing that it occurred to me as I was saying that is because it's not exactly the same thing as complications, but the one area I would love on the Mac for them to fix software wise is the widgets i have so many widgets that just don't update right the things widget never tells me i have to go into it for it to like refresh they just don't refresh in the background and that's actually true on on ios as well to be perfectly honest but how useful a, a widget is not useful I guess it's mostly on iOS because that's where I use widgets the most, but it's, it's just not useful to me if that doesn't actually give me the current information. If I'm, you know, the weather apps all do, that's fine. But things is a great example yeah. of that. There are several other widgets that I use on a fantastic how. sometimes. It just, right. I've canceled a meeting or I've added a meeting and it just doesn't show up until you tap into, but that defeats the whole purpose of having a widget. And so I feel like there's some room that they could, they could do there.
0: Yeah. And o- overall just make widgets interactive from the home screen yes let fantastical put a plus button in the widget and when you tap it you can create an event without ever leaving the home screen like don't make me open the app yes and give all apps that ability for widgets including apple's own apps like if you have a mail widget on your home screen that lists your latest three emails have a compose button that you can just tap from the widget it slides up you do your email and then you're still on your home screen and then across all the apps things let you add a task without leaving the home screen and even weather, like maybe you can pop into something like the peak and pop type features, all like widgets as a whole just can be more interactive for sure.
1: Yeah. Why can't this, why can't I just tap a play button on the Spotify widget? Right. right. Or pocket,
0: like I use the pocket cast widget all the time. Yeah. And you like, all it is basically just opens the app. Like I would love to just
1: hit play and pause. Like that'd be amazing. Yep. There we go. That's the winner. <laughs> that's the software. Yeah. That's, that's
0: the deal. That's the deal. Widgets on the Mac is like, I always forget it's there. I never look at notifications on my Mac, really, unless they pop in as a banner. And a lot of times, like people, like normal people don't even know how to get to that screen.
1: Yeah, I don't use a single widget on my Mac. So (laughs) everything I said about the Mac part of that is nonsense. (laughs) It's all iPad and iPhone. and You can leave all of that in. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Well, Jason, thanks so much for hanging out for the the length of a feature film. This is almost as long as Spider-Man No Way Home, and it was great. So thank you so much. Where
1: can people find your writing and your work? Yeah, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter. It's just at Jason Ayton and I write at Inc.com. I'm the tech columnist there, so you can find my thoughts about pretty much all of this over there. Follow Jason. We'll put all the links to his Twitter
0: and some of his articles for Inc. in the show notes. I'll put some stuff that we talked about as well during the show, like the reviews and all that. Once again, happy new year to everyone. Thank you so much for your support throughout 2021. Look forward to everything that we can do in 2022. Have some actually awesome guests already lined up for early in the year, planning for that tech drought January through March. And so if there's some guests you would like to hear on the show. Tweet at me at Steven Robles. I'd love to hear who you would like to hear on the show. Also plan on doing some Again, more bonus type content just for supporters. So supporters, reach out. Let me know what you would like to hear in that bonus content. And if you haven't yet, we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. That helps the show. And you can support directly. $5 a month gets you an ad-free, uninterrupted version of the show, either at patreon.com slash Insider or write an Apple Podcasts. Jason, thanks so much again for joining us. Thank you.